swagger, okay? Regardless of what happens out there, doesn't matter. Keep your swagger. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Five Hole Fantasy Hockey. We're your hosts today, TJ Branson and Zach Vogel. Hey, hey, hey. Today we got a fun one. So we're going to finish up the Central Division. Uh, typically, we only have three interviews, but we were spoiled in the in the way of Minnesota. We were joined by Alexis Pearson and Dan Myers on the Wild. So we're going to have a two-parter when it comes to Minnesota. And then Scott Powers from The Athletic came on to talk about Chicago, and we had Jeremy Gover for Nashville. Come on to let me pick his brain about Nashville. So there were a lot of fun interviews here, and I, I enjoyed every one. I think we're going to leave. But you, but you, en- you enjoyed the one with me the most, right? Yeah, yeah. I wish you would have been there because I, I was there. Because I was there. I'll tell you what; those guys were a lot of fun to talk to, and I think you would have enjoyed it as well. So, oh, um, I'm sure I would have, dude. Uh, man's got to work. Okay, so man's got to work. Yeah. Well, uh, I realized that uh, nobody, no, like managers were opening the restaurant tomorrow. And uh, I had to pull an open to close today. Does that mean you got to open and close again tomorrow? No, I don't go in till noon tomorrow. Hmm. I but I do it to close. So it was a long day today, and I only got around for the one interview when it sucked because I like doing these interviews. So much fun talking. To, I just uh, it's talking to people about hockey. I mean, yeah. how can that be bad? It has been a lot of fun talking to these guys. I'm so happy that you guys are joining us, riding along with these interviews. They've been a lot of fun, and uh, I, th- I hope you guys are enjoying them too. Now, I think uh, next week we're definitely going to be taking a week off from these interviews, and then we're going to come back with the Atlantic, and we'll come back with the Pacific as well. Uh, but in the meantime, I don't know, Zach, maybe we can put out just like a, a random episode and do – we can review our Dynasty League. We can talk – just hockey we can get fucking shit faced if it you almost to. sounds like we it almost sounds like we have a zach episode coming a zach episode there you go we're just gonna let me take the reins fuck yeah and uh yeah we'll just get shit face blasted so you let me know what days you're off and uh what days you don't have to go in the next day so the hangover can uh, run its course but we're gonna oh, yeah. start off with uh the jeremy gover uh part of this episode we're gonna be talking nashville so i hope you guys enjoy it Everybody, we're joined with Jeremy Gover. He's the locker room reporter for Nashville's Predator Radio Net, correspondent AP Radio. Jeremy, anything else you're working on, man? <laughs> what aren't I working on? Love it. I love <laughs> it. Uh, I got a few questions here. I'm hoping to bounce off you about Nashville. And uh, sure. let's just get her going. So I'm curious about the goalie situation, first thing. Over the past few seasons, I feel like the torch has been being gently passed over from Pekka Rene to UC Soros. And since John Hines took over, UC Soros had the third best save percentage in the NHL. I'm curious as to who you think is going to get game number one in the playoffs here. I think it would be UC Soros. I think uh, it's very interesting in the sense that Rene would have, he'd be the legacy guy. He'd be a guy that, you know, you would naturally think he's going to be the guy in between the pipes for the foreseeable future. But he really struggled this season uh, at 895 save percentages around the 1980s good quote unquote air quotes for radio good goalie 
you know, in the 1980s, was the, the Ron Hextall number, right? Uh, those, those guys are, um, they were hovering around the 900 mark. But this is not the 1980s anymore. Right, so yeah. therefore, 895 is not good. Uh, that being said, he does have 3.17 goals against, which is a little bit better, a little more respectable. And his 18, 14, and 4 record with three shutouts is not that bad either. It's just uh, this team has underperformed in front of their goaltenders at times this season, mostly in front of Rene, but definitely Soros early in the season as well. Because you remember Soros' uh, save percentage was also under nine for a while. It's just it's an interesting thing, right? Rene is the guy you would think is you know this is going to be his maybe a swan song or some sort of some sort of like he's on his way out the, encore, the door yeah. when his, once his contract is over. Yeah, so you kind of want to give him the start, but at the same time, the the key to Rene's success may just be Soros, which is a weird <laughs> kind of catch twenty two. So yeah, I, I I think UC Soros is he's playing well. I mean. It's been, I mean, nobody's playing right now, but right, yeah. he was playing really well uh, coming down the stretch. And, uh, again, under, under Coach Hines, like you mentioned, uh, he, he was just tremendous. But, again, the team has got to be better in front of their goaltenders when this whole thing resumes. Because if they're not, they're not going anywhere. And they got some good goalies waiting in the wings. Connor Ingram is going to look pretty good, I think, behind a UC Soros for the foreseeable future. Even Troy Grosnick, I know he's a little on the older side, kind of a countryman, but the pipeline has looked good. And now I want to talk about Ellie Tolvanen and Philip Tomasino. First, going to be Tolvanen. He was exciting. He had great numbers in Sioux City. When he moved over to the K, it kind of dipped. And then another dip with the Admirals. Do you think that his dip in production, or um, at least from an outside perspective, me and my my co-host, who's usually here, we're Flyers fans, so we don't really, we're not like in the know in Nashville or anything. But um, sure, sure. the hype seems to be fading a little bit with Ellie Tilvanen, especially in our circles, which are like fantasy hockey circles. So uh, right. do you think it's just adjustment to all these different leagues, going to the K, coming back over to the A? Is there more to it here? So I think it's a convoluted question. <laughs> okay, so the, the, right. the, uh, the first, the, well, let me, let me back up. Before he came to the AHL, or, or before he came to North America, let's say. So he went to Yokrit, right? Played a season right, in Yokrit. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it was KHL Rookie of the Year, if, if memory serves correctly. He was just on fire. 36 points in 49 games hmm. for an 18-year-old in that league is ridiculous. Okay, that was great. But I got a lot of the questions, too, like, oh, is he the real deal? I did a whole article on TheGameNashville.com. I talked to Yari Curry, uh, of course, Hockey Hall of Famer, of course, a legend in the Edmonton Oilers and LA Kings organizations. But also, but he's mainly he's the GM with Yokerit. And so I asked him, I said, look, you've got a unique perspective. You've, seen, you've been around this game for a long time. You've played with the game's best, literally, and you've coached right, and, you've, right. and you've been a GM. Is he the real deal? And he said, there's no question about it. Nashville fans are going to be happy for years to come. Excellent. Now, about that. Uh, if you'd asked me around that time if he needs to adjust to the North American ice, because that was kind of the lazy argument, right? It was like, yeah. oh, well, he's oh, the KHL, he's struggling because he's adjusting North American ice. I would counter with, well, no, it's in Sioux City, as you mentioned, he played North American ice just fine. Like it should, it should not be an issue. He played two years there, he lit it up there, and it, it shouldn't be a problem. But uh, I, I was wrong. He, he did need to adjust, and even in his own admission, he said. I just need to get comfortable with the AHL, with the you know the North American style ice rink, and so I think there was a little bit of that. But also, he has said all the right things. I can't. I'm not going to claim to say that you know we text back and forth and he <laughs> vents about his North American experience. But but he says all the right things when asked. And what I what I mean by that is he could have went back to the KHL. He had an out clause, not this year, I don't believe, but last year definitely when he came over from the from the KHL. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, this year. 
no, no, I'm sorry. I'm going to collect my thoughts. It was last year, 2018, 2019, sorry. So when he came over and played at the AHL level, he had, I think it was either 10 or 15 games. So it was, it was a number there to where he could decide before that number game in, in North America to go back to the KHL. And this place would be Yoker, of course. And he chose to stay. He chose to stay even though he did not get a call-up of any significance mm-hmm. right last season. And then this season, he got called up. And, you know, he scored his first NHL goal, but then he basically spent the whole season at the AHL level, and he got better. 21 goals was second on the Milwaukee Admirals. And by the way, the Milwaukee Admirals are no slouch. They're the second yeah. best team. Or excuse me, they were the best team they were, in the yeah. AHL by a large margin. So he, he, he's their second leading scorer goals-wise. And uh, he was, I think, their third. Uh, no, he's their, sorry. He was their tied for their fifth leading scorer produ- production-wise. But a lot of the, that production came late in the season where he was kind of figuring it all out. And again, the AHL, as the National Predators will tell you to hear until kingdom come, the AHL is for development. Hmm. And so they're trying to develop Ellie Tolvanen as a two-way player, not a two-way specialist. Okay, not like your David Legwand or something like that. They, that would be robbing him of his greatest asset. <laughs> but playing on the defensive side of the puck, playing in his own zone, playing without the puck, those are the things that he really needed to work on. Again, for all accounts, he's been great at trying to do that, and he was just finally starting to put it together. I would not be surprised at all if he contends for a Predators uh, spot next season, to open next season. Righteous. Those are the things I think John Hines is going to be looking for, too. Yes. I was not aware that um, that he was Rookie of the Year in the KHL, so I think maybe just tempered expectations from a fantasy standpoint. When we go looking at numbers, we're expecting, you know, like things to jump off the page at you, you know, point per game, this, that, and the other thing. So maybe I was just underwhelmed at first glance. I didn't dig too far into, like, how he was getting awarded and stuff like that. Well, in fairness to you, though, you're, I mean, you're not wrong. He, he was underwhelming when he first came here. They, I mean, everyone to a person thought he was going to just come in, not, maybe not in the NHL level, but certainly at the AHL level, just light it up, mm-hmm. right? Just like, hey, he's going to score 30 goals his first year, and then he's going to be a predator, and then the rest will be history. And he certainly has not done that. But again, it took him time. He's only 21 years old, and he just turned 21, like last month, by the way. So, you know, he's some guys take a little bit longer. We saw a lot of that with Kevin Fiala, actually, although I would put the Tolvin's more talented than Kevin Fiala. But I'm just saying, like, you, you, you saw a learning curve like that where he came over to North America, went through kind of a let's figure it out, and once he got it, he was fine. So this is just going to be practice patience that still have faith here. Right. Philip Tomasino, it seems like he kind of jumped – Prior to this conversation, it felt like he jumped Tolvin in, in terms of being maybe the best forward prospect from Nashville. I think my question is going to be, what do you think he's going to be at the NHL level? I see, how do I want to put this? Because Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne, even Kyle Turris, to me, I, I don't really see a 1C there, but I do see a 1C ceiling with Philip Tomasino. Uh, obviously, it's not going to happen right away, but I'm wondering what you think his ceiling and what kind of an ETA for him is going to be. That's a great question because that is also multifaceted in the sense. Yeah, it's a lot I, to unpack. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's fine. I, I mean, that's, I'd rather have that than softballs, right? The uh, Tomasino really proved his worth when he went to Oshawa, okay, in, in the trade from Niagara at the deadline for the OHL. So he had 57 points in 36 games, and you think, how can a guy do better than that? I mean, that is just legit ridiculous. Yeah. But he went to Oshawa, which is a much better team, in fairness. But he went to Oshawa and he 43 points in 26 games, and he was just on fire. And he showed that he can not only carry a team in Niagara, you know, with you know some nice ancillary pieces around him, but certainly not all world players. And then he can go to Oshawa, a much better team, and he can still dominate. He's not just going to get lost in the shuffle. So it looks like a play driver to me. Yes, and and that's and that's I think the biggest 
thing for him that I would not have predicted that you know last year when the Predators drafted him. So for me, I see him. I do see him as a as a top line uh, forward for sure. But I think that maybe two or three years down the road. Right now, uh, and he's not playing like it this season by any means. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. But Ryan Johansson, in my opinion, is the number one center in this league. He's only going to get older, right? And if you have a guy who is uh, as elite talented as Tomasino, who plays that pivot position, I there you can't not put him in a position to succeed, right? Mm-hmm. If you give him wingers like Forsberg, maybe even Tolvanen by the time he's ready to go, right? And that all of a sudden you're surrounding him with weapons, mm-hmm. and he can just repeat what he's done at the OHL level, hopefully for Predators fans. So let's talk now about the power play. I remember um, two seasons ago, so not this truncated season, but the season before Nashville had the worst power play in the league. No, was, and Dan Lambert. It was, it was worse than that. It was worse than the worst. Let me tell you, it was horrible. <laughs> they were 32nd, right? Um, so Dan Lambert yeah, was yeah. brought in from the Spokane Chiefs, who at the time had, they had the best power play in the WHL. And then the results seemed to be marginal at best here. I think they went from, what, 16% efficiency to maybe close to 17, 18, something like that. Is the problem more systemic, or what do you really see out of this power play that could perf- like improve? Well, first of all, they have a 17%, which is not good, but they are not 31st, right? So, <laughs> so, there, is, so there is progress. Yeah. Uh, and I think the Predators will claim to that, because it, it, let me tell you, it got really old asking the post-game interview, whoever I was talking to in the, in the locker room after the, every game last season, it got really old asking about the power play. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, like they didn't want to answer it. I didn't want to ask about it. But, it, you know, you have to. I mean, you can't. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was so bad, you know. But how many how many different ways can you come up and saying, well, the power play didn't really click for you guys tonight. I mean, how, I mean, how many nice ways can you say that, right? So they, they moved along to this season. You're right. They got Daniel and Bear. And for, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but October wasn't bad. The, they, they looked like they had turned a quarter, but then around November, and maybe that was when the injuries started to happen. Like Arvidsson went down, you know, and there's I think Forsberg missed some time, and uh, the team wasn't playing as well as it did in October. I think he saw a, a regression there, but it was more a regression to the mean. It wasn't just a regression for oh, okay, well, you know, there's ebbs and flows in a season, and you know, they're they're of course they're not going to do as well as they did in October. Like it wasn't like that. It was like oh no no, this is who they really are. <laughs> that was that was an anomaly. Uh, so it was, it, it's it's not good. But, again, 17% is way better than last year for sure. And the fact that there's uh, six teams below them is honestly is a feather in their cap at this point because it was so – I can't even – there are no adjectives I can use to describe <laughs> how bad it was last year. Well, feel free. I, well, actually, I, I will say this. For people who don't know in your area, yeah, I wrote a whole thing on thegamenational.com about – when we were going into the playoffs last year against Dallas about how – I went, I went through like the, I think it was like the t- last twenty years it was some uh, number like that it was a big large sample size, and I I researched the Stanley Cup winner versus their regular season power play percentage, oh, and boy. I figured out like okay well you know what teams had the best power play it was like like one of the twenty or something. anyway the point was is that the whole point of the story was that it's not a, it's not unthinkable to think they're gonna they'll be fine that they can have the worst power play and then they can still go win the cup there's only one team that did it and it was the Devils. And so I interviewed Mike Rupp of NHL Network, and I said, "How did you guys do it?" And he couldn't remember. <laughs> but it was just—it was just that's how bad it was. It got to the point where I wrote an article about fans. You can have the worst power play and still go in the cup. Like it yeah. is possible. Gave him something so, to hope for, man. Yeah, it was unbelievable. 
So I want to talk about Victor Arvidsson here. Um, we're a fantasy hockey podcast, and we went into last year almost hoping for that half goal per game season that Victor Arvidsson had in 1819, uh, which obviously was cut short by injury again. What do you think played into his progression? I saw he was playing time on the fourth line almost. Uh, like, what, what's really going on with Victor there? Well, he had quite a run-in in St. Louis early in the season. And uh, I want to say it was Bertuzzo. It's amazing what you forget when you like. If you'd asked me this two months ago, I'd have been able to name the period it happened in and the yeah. injury and the. You know, but <laughs> when you get this far removed, it's, it's it's just interesting. But anyway, he had a, he had a, a really bad injury to his ribcage in his back, uh, and because of this dirty hit in St. Louis, and he missed a lot of time. And I think he was kind of working himself back up to that because hmm. you have to remember too, this is a team that had. Maybe, uh, well, I mean, they probably stand, in the room. They probably have Stanley Cup aspirations, but let's say the fan base they had they had their belief set on a central division title or at least competing for one, right? And definitely a playoff team, no question about that. This team was not performing at a playoff level for a long time, and so I would not be surprised at all. And again, I don't know this; I'm not passing on a report or anything. I'm just speculating. It would not surprise me at all if Victor Arvidsson rushed himself back to help the team. Uh, I see because because he. They, 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 it's not like they're, oh, hey, look, we're in third place, we're comfortable, we're good, you go take care of yourself. Instead, he's a competitor, probably one of the biggest competitors in that room, actually, and you know he, he wants to play hurt, he wants to help the team, and only to see them in the standings hovering around that bubble, I'm sure that was not, they did not, they did not sit well with him. And so I'm pretty sure he rushed himself back to a certain extent. And again, 15 goals, you know, for a guy who played 57 games, that's not awful, but it is half of what he is generally accustomed to doing, which right. is a thirty goal guy, right? So, I mean, he did spend some time in the fourth line. You're right, uh, but you also have to remember that even when he was on the first and second lines, and Coach Laviolette or Coach Hines, depending on which week of the season you're talking about, <laughs> uh, is trying to plug anything in that's going to work. And Arvison was one of those people. He was one of those players that one when he wasn't hurt, Forsberg wasn't playing well, or Johansson wasn't playing well. Or Duchesne wasn't playing well, or Granlin wasn't playing oh, well. It, it was it was just a it was a we used to say we used to joke about how the um, you shake your iPhone and it would tell you like where to eat. It's called like the I think it was the, the i dinner app or whatever it was called. Hmm. We used to call it the i line. Is where that's what it would be like. You just hey shake the phone and see what happens because <laughs> nothing else is working. You might as well go ahead and plug them in somewhere. So there's a little bit of that with Arvidsson as well. Do you think John Hines is ever going to go to that Victor Arvidsson, Philip Forsberg, and Ryan Johansson line again? Yeah, I actually wouldn't be surprised if he starts with it. To be honest, because when when the, when the season resumes and they play the Arizona Coyotes, that's the most comfortable line. And if you're trying to get players up to speed fast, you I go see. with what's comfortable at first. So I would predict an Arvidsson, Johansson, Forsberg first line, and then a Grandlin, Duchesne second line. Uh, assuming, by the way, that the, uh, the NHL and NHLPA work out that players' contracts don't end July first and they can be carried over. So assuming that legalese is taken care of. I wouldn't be surprised if you have a, uh, a Duchesne and Grandland and then whoever the other one, like Craig Smith, whoever it's going to be on that other side, because Grandland and Duchesne, when they were together, especially in October and then later, and then when, once Hines took over, when they were together, they looked like they were in another world as far as reading each other and figuring out what they're going to do and kind of being in each other's mind. And that was really exciting for Predators fans because like, oh, hey, that's what they acquired Grandland for who struggled last season and under oh, La Violette. Yeah. And then they brought in this Duchesne guy, and he's supposed to be the second coming. He's not, by the way, but that's what fans <laughs> thought. Uh, and, you know, but when they were together, they looked really, really good. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if they go with that. 
I'm curious about Roman Yossi. He's up for the Norris. Um, every team that had a good defenseman is kind of shouting at the top of their lungs that they're the ones that deserve it. I hear a lot from John Carlson um, and Alex Petrangelo even. But Roman Yossi is, is my vote, and I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you. But it, is this level of play that he showed us this year, is this something that we can count on going into next year? Yes, I do believe so. Uh, uh, Roman Yossi is... Um I don't want to jinx it here, so i got to be careful about this. <laughs> if you believe in jinxes, cover your ears. <laughs> uh, uh, he is a guy who signed the, his current contract, which I think was, was it, uh, I'll look it up while I'm talking. But he, it was it's like the r- most ridiculous contract uh, in the current NHL system as far as his capability and his potential and what he's making, right? And so uh, the reason he did that, people forget, is because it's a, uh, I'm trying to look it up here, I don't know. Waste your time, but I also I'm trying to get it right. You know what I'm saying? I think he was going from four to like was, nine or something. Yeah, but it was. Uh, let's see, here it is: a seven-year contract for 28 million. That's what it was. Wow. Okay, he's making now he's eight years for 72 million, so quite a raise. But <laughs> but the seven-year for 28 million, for which is four million a year. You're right. Uh, the reason that that contract was signed 2013-14, even though he kind of showed that he possessed, uh, he probably warranted a bigger contract, is because. The last two or three seasons over in North America, he had dealt with some concussions. He had an injury, not this injury history, but he looked like he might have been prone to injury. There was even a, uh, a, I think it was a prospects game against the Florida Panthers, I want to say back in 2011, where he played that game, exhibition game, you know, and he, he was like lost for half the season because of that. I mean, just there's, there was a concussion factor there. And so I think he signed that deal because it was more of a guarantee, okay, I'm still going to make money if this thing keeps happening. But what's happened is the opposite. This is in order. The lockout season of 48 games, he played all 48 games. After that, it's 72, 81, 81, 72, 75, 82, and then every one of the 69 games this year. I mean, he has been the poster boy for durability. And on top of that, oh, he happens to have 65 points. He's basically a point-per-game yeah. player right? On a, on a team that's not been great. Remember, in October, you take October away, the rest of the season has not been great for the National Predators. And this guy has been not only the the poster boy, I'll use that phrase again, for consistency, but he has carried this team at times. There are times where the offense will dry up and he'll go on a nine-game scoring streak. And he just tries to carry the team as best he can. So he's 29 years old. He's in the prime of his career. He's Mr. Durable. Again, if you're jinxes, just look away. And, and, and he, in my opinion, he should, he should win the Norris this year. So I want to ask now about um, is there any fear in the room about a cap recapture for Shea Weber? I don't know about in the room, but I guess up around, in the office, you know. Yeah, around the team, I would say there's probably a little bit of, a, of trepidation there because Shea Weber could retire obviously at any time and Nash will be in, uh, in pretty hot water. Uh, but David Poyle has pulled off some magical trades. Uh, <laughs> He signed... Yeah, the PK uh, Subban. That, that yeah, yeah this, this is the Subban trade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, even, the, even the... Well, uh, it's too far in the weeds now but I'll, for your show, but I'll just say that even the Subban trade to New Jersey, when they got back Jeremy Davies, it looked underwhelming at the time, but you know Jeremy Davies looks like he's a guy who could play in the NHL next year, in my opinion. Well, yeah, and that's so the it, Subban one I was looking at. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so you know it, it's it's not horrible, and again they unloaded that cap hit, right? So they they made way for Matt Shane. So it's if you look at it other ways, it's actually not that bad. But I digress. The Piquet Subban deal, you got the Ryan Johansson for Seth Jones deal. So you're basically dealing. He's dealing from a position of strength, which is young defenseman, and he's acquiring something he's never been able to draft in the history of the National Predators, which is a top line center. And he did that. And then of course, if you want to go even deeper, 
Uh, he he traded Matt Hendricks, who he signed for the, to a four year deal, and even when they, he signed it, everyone's like, "What is this?" <laughs> and he unloaded him like three months into the deal for what he thought was going to be a band aid starting goalie, goalie in Devin Dubnik from the Edmonton Oilers because Rene was hurt and they, they he wasn't happy. So that kind of worked out. So he's pulled this, he's pulled some magical trades before. My point of saying all that is that I wouldn't put it past David Poyle at all to go to Montreal and say we if before he retires let let's work out a deal he can retire with us and then maybe there won't be a cap. I mean mm. I don't know what the capture penalties are. I don't want to speak out of turn, but I I tend to think that if he's with the team, it doesn't count against. I think so. There may be some uh, some leeway there, but if anybody knows about it, David Poyle does. <laughs> Uh, let's turn our sights now to the, the the young guns here. Rocco Grimaldi, Jakob Trenin, and Dante Fabro. Uh, what do you see for these guys? And I had a question in our Fantasy Hockey Discord specifically about a Jakob Trenin. Uh, somebody drafted him in one of our leagues, and very esoteric question, but he wants to know if Jakob Trenin can stick with the club. I think he can, but I all, but it may be next year. Hmm. Okay, so so I say that because... He has looked really good since coming to Nashville, and he got sent down because he can. He's just a victim of a numbers game, right? I mean, you, right. you can only carry so many players. Some guys have to go to waivers. Some guys don't, right? So it's it's inevitable that some guys like Trennan are going to be able to options to Milwaukee or the AHL because they can, okay? So that was exactly what happened to him. And Colin Blackwell and uh, uh, Yakov Trennan have looked great in gold as, uh, considering their experience level. Okay, so nobody's calling them all stars, but I, you know, but but if you're in a if you have a deep draft, and you're you know, and you can grab a Yakov Trenin or a Colin, or a Colin Blackwell, they're going to get you points, and that might happen next year because this is the audition right now, or it was the audition. Hopefully, it resumes, and it's the audition for the new coaching staff. You got players that are coming off a contract. Craig Smith and Granlin, just for example, are pending unrestricted free agents. So if they go elsewhere. If they don't resign, that opens up a spot. Maybe Blackwell can grab a third line winger spot. You know, Trenton's you know third line center, same thing. So they've they've shown that they belong. It's just going to take an opportunity, so they're not a victim of a numbers game like they were when they could be optioned down. Well, I'll tell you what, Jeremy. It was a pleasure talking to you, man. That's all the questions I got for you. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Okay, so anybody that wants to find Jeremy online, you guys can find him at Govertime on Twitter. Jeremy, if you want to email me the the links at which you're working, I can pull the link off your Twitter. I'm going to hyperlink it in the description of the episode. And anything else you want to plug, feel free to email me. I'll get that in there. But yeah, one more time, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, Tim, man. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks again. Let's talk Nashville, man. Me and Jeremy, we talked about uh, goalie situations. Uh, who's going to be the goalie in game one? He is banking on UC Soros, too. And I think uh, you and I... This is my boy. Yeah, we talked this about my him. my boy. But it definitely seems like... I, I don't think there's any way that UC Soros doesn't get it. And the more I'm thinking about it, the less of a hot take it is. But I think really that's going to be the way it is. And we're really, really going to be seeing the transition from Rene to Soros going into these next years. So I think uh, Soros is going to be viewed as more of a backup. And I think that's how it's going to land. TJ, it was a hot take a while ago when I said it before. We've moved on to Ellie Tolvanen and Philip Tomasino here. 
When I was looking at Tolvanen's numbers, like in the KHL and stuff, I didn't know that he was the rookie of the year in the KHL. And I mean, his numbers didn't, they don't really jump off the page. I think it was like 34 points in, in 50 games, or maybe I'm confusing the his production in the Admirals or whatever, but it was under a point per game. And that's not typically what you think of like a high-end forward prospect to be putting up in the KHL, but he was 18. Um, they, they might've been playing him on like fourth lines or whatever. And I really don't know what, what his season yeah, looked it's, like. It's hard. To, it's hard. It's hard to see their minutes and, yeah. and how they played. So like the, those kind of numbers can be skewed, but you do like to see someone tear it up. If yeah. You will. I think daily Faceoff needs to widen their stretch to get into the KHL and stuff like that. They need to get line combinations from every single league out there. I couldn't agree more. I think somebody else should definitely do more work so that my job is easier. For sure. Yeah, that, that's how it should be. Uh, Tomasino, so we talked about, Zach, you and I had um, in previous episodes kind of talked about how Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne, they don't really fit the mold of a 1C but Ryan Johansson certainly is serviceable as 1C. Obviously, if you were in a world where he was your second-line center, you'd be a lot better prepared. And from what I remember talking with Jeremy... Well, we, hell, I mean, there there was even a time last year where, I don't know, I remember sending you a text message saying, hey, right now, Ryan Johansson is my best center. Like, he was surprising for a... for It was given... It was for a short amount of time. It was about two weeks... But, I mean, he has stretches where he can be, we'll just say, profitable. Yeah, and and usually his MO has always been, like, you know, 12 to 15 goals and, like, 50 assists, and that's kind of where he is. But I don't know if that's a product of his line mates that he had. Obviously, you would think so with with a lower assist totals and, and that kind of thing. But um, on Tomasino, he does see him as more... Uh, fitting the mold of a of a 1C, but not maybe not for a couple of years. So Tomasino is certainly a great prospect to have in your corner. As far as the ceiling, I'm not sure we got to that. Zach, we talked a lot about the power plays too and how it was kind of in Nashville, you're almost beating a dead horse when you bring it up in post-game interviews and stuff like that. Uh, Jeremy does a lot of work in interviewing in the locker rooms and stuff like that. So he he, he got to a point where he felt bad asking about the power play because it was bad for so long. And it went from like last in the NHL to, to seventh worst. But he was hanging his hat on that. And he did a piece on if anybody uh, with like a bad power play, like in the last 20 years, the worst power play to win a Stanley Cup. And he said it was um, it was like the New Jersey Devils back in the 90s. So maybe earlier than that. But it's yeah. just so weird how I'm sure you remember this. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about the Nashville power, uh, power play and why it works because they they used to go to this high low system they all they had all of yeah, we're these... going back three seasons now right yeah yeah i mean it, it's been a little uh, a little bit ago but it's not that long ago for the most part their defense is the same yeah they have ryan ellis and Ekholm. they have roman yossi and you know what i mean like yeah. they, they have all of those pieces that they use for that high low concept that they always ran on the power play and it worked. And my, how the tides have turned. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, it's hard to say that there won't be a bounce back, but, you know, we're, there's we're two gotta years be. into it. There's, there's got to be. be. You can, you can't have players like uh, Ryan Ellis and Roman Yossi on, on your defense and, and playing on your power play 
and not have a bounce back. I just don't believe it. Yeah, that's one thing that came up is Roman Yossi, and, and he is a big uh, believer in the fact that Roman Yossi will be able to do this again next year. So uh, having a weapon like Roman Yossi on your top power play, I mean, that's not going to hurt you, and it's only going to help hope, you. So. I hope for some reason he drops in the world of fantasy hockey. I hope for yeah. some crazy <laughs> freaking reason he drops. Any buy-low window with Roman Yossi is going to be a good buy-low window. Uh, Victor Arvidsson, I think uh, he he was pretty confident in a bounce back. Um, you know, he was he was at like a quarter goal per game this year, and uh, was rocking like a half goal per game last year. And no, I say last year, but two seasons ago, whatever. And and he was a big fan of the young guns too. You got uh, Jakob Trenin, Dante Fabro, Rocco Grimaldi, Colin Blackwell. I think it was uh, Colin Blackwell. Uh, as far as those players that you just named. So it's Rocco Grimaldi, Jakob Trenin, Dante Fabro. Who'd you say first, though? We were talking about who? I'm sorry, I've been drinking heavily for the, like, since I got on, I've had, like, seven Colin Blackwell, shots yeah, that's I've... his name, Colin Blackwell. Um, and then there was uh, L.A. Tolvanen. I thought he was... played, uh, didn't he, wasn't he on the Devils? Colin Blackwell. Blackwell? Colin Blackwell? The hell is going on? I don't know if you're thinking about Blackwood. Not Blackwood. I'm not talking about Blackwood. Colin Blackwell. Know. I don't remember him being on well, Nashville. Yeah, he, he's 27. He's oh, we we're talking about Victor Arvidsson. Oh, yeah, okay. Victor. Yeah. I'm going to say something about Victor Arvidsson first. Do it. But I have. I've been. Uh, I've taken a lot of shots in a small amount of time. I you can write that part you. in. <laughs> you can put that part in if you want to. Yeah. Just, just put it in the middle of something random. No. It, I uh, I sent a message to the Discord. I always do this before our uh, before I go on for interviews. I take a picture of like my liquor shelf, and I'm like, which one should I do? And uh, I just did all four in a row, and I put a, a video of me shooting them all. Sweet. <laughs> so I went on with uh, with friggin' uh, Scott Powers then, and I was like, that's when the liquor started to hit me, and I started like you know getting nervous, fanboy. There's that. There, there ain't nothing wrong with that. You'll be a little nervous. Okay, so as far as Victor Arvidsson goes, I I feel like it's got to be somewhere in the middle. Don't you, TJ? Uh, the whole... I, th- I think he's a 30-goal. Sniper, sure. goal-scorer thing, it, it just doesn't do it for me. Um, I don't... I don't know. I just don't see Arvidsson as that kind of guy. I don't see him as the guy year in and year out can just pull out goals and just automatic 25 goals. I do. I do. I, I think don't. That guy. I don't. I think he's I don't. a 30 goal guy. I don't. I saw him try really fucking hard. And then I also saw him try too hard so during games. Something Jeremy I saw him saying. trying to put I saw him trying to push uh push the play and not in a bad way but in in a more expedient sort of way, just self-serving, where he was trying to pretty much play his own game. I've watched it happen. That's why I don't trust Victor Arvid. Sometimes selfish players are good for fantasy hockey teams, and I wanted to bring up something that Jeremy and I were talking about. He, and I don't want to put words in his mouth or anything, but he said that he had the feeling that uh, that Victor Arvidsson might have been playing through something because if you remember two seasons ago he got uh, he got hurt and then I think he got hurt oh, again so you this think year. He was hurt, huh? Yeah, he, he might have been playing hurt. Um, maybe we don't get back to that forty goal uh, Victor Arvidsson, which I do think is still in his wheelhouse. I just I think you can safely mark him down for thirty for sure. I mean twenty five is the floor. 
I think he caught a case of feelings, and that's about it. Well, you you kind of saw a blanket dip, right? Like you you saw Philip Forsberg go down a little bit. You saw Brian Johansson kind of get that, and Matthew Shane was a little underwhelming. But that's what happens to goal scorers, unless you're elite. And no offense, but Victor Arvidsson isn't elite. But how much was he floating up and down the lineup this year, too? So I think John Hines is trying to figure out what he has in him. And I think I asked Jeremy about the Jofa line, if if Victor Arvidsson, that Ryan Johansson and, and Phil Forsberg are going to be back together at any point during the future, because it seemed like John Hines wanted to do everything but that. But yeah, the familiarity is there and going into the playoffs, that's what you need. You need chemistry, you need familiarity. So there's a good point um, that he brought up that they'll probably play game one together. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, and then okay. Um, alright, so next up is going to be our Minnesota Wild interviews plural for the first time which is pretty rad we got dan myers and we got alexis pearson uh we got two perspectives here on on the minnesota wild so i hope you guys dig it all right guys we are joined with dan myers the minnesota wild team reporter you guys can find him at mn wild scribe on twitter and dan how you doing today i'm doing good how are you not bad, man. Just did a uh, a foursome of whiskeys. I did a, a shot of wood. Well, not a full shot, but I did. I was trying to decide which one, and I couldn't, so I just did a little bit of each. It's working probably, fine. Probably the right, the right strategy. Yeah, when in doubt, just go for all of them, right? When, when uh, in doubt, just uh, try them all. <laughs> so I got a couple questions. I'm hoping to pick your brain about the Minnesota Wild here. First one I want to start off with is what are your thoughts on the goalie situation that come next season. I mean, you got Dubnik, uh, Stalock. I'm not sure of their contract and, and when they end or anything, but Kakinen really coming out of nowhere, not even nowhere, uh, AHL goalie of the year, but really throwing his hat in the ring. Where are you at with that? It's an interesting situation. I think when you look on the Wilds roster, there's there's options there. You mentioned him. Devin Dubnik's a guy who's struggled, I think, the last year and a half. He'd probably admit to that. He'd admit that he hasn't played to the level he believes he's capable of doing. He's going into a contract here next year, which is intriguing for me. He, he's told me on multiple occasions how much uh, he loves it. Minnesota's family lived in Minnesota all last summer. They didn't go back to Canada like they normally do. Uh, he's got a young family. This is where he wants to be. Uh, so if he wants to, to earn that type of deal, he's going to be motivated next season going into a contract year. And if we're going to have hockey here yet this summer, I think he's going to get a chance uh to win that job back from Alex Stalock, another guy you mentioned who might be on the best goalie contract in the league at this point, 785K uh, for two more years after this year, for, who was fantastic for Minnesota down the stretch and at minimum is a very serviceable backup in this league. And, and the third guy you mentioned, Capo Kakinen, a tremendous year in the American Hockey League, the league's goalie of the year, played in the All-Star game there last year just 23 years old, just in his second season in North America, leaps and bounds he made this year and then getting his first taste in the NHL and certainly not looking out of place. Now all of a sudden Minnesota, uh, you look at it maybe at the beginning of the year, are they going to have to go out and find someone, whether it's a Brayton Holtby, one of those guys who could be a free agent this summer. Uh, all of a sudden I think that Minnesota's in a, a pretty strong position actually when you think about the circumstance with Dubnik going into a contract year, Staylock playing well. And then the future arriving maybe a little earlier than most people thought with Capo Kakin. 
it's easy to kind of lose him in the static. I mean, there is such an influx of young goalies. I'm a Flyers fan, so I got Carter Hart close to my heart. And and then, I mean, surrounding me just by Ilya's and Igor's, right? So all these young mm-hmm. guys. Uh, and Capo Kekkonen kind of like in the in the shadows almost and really throwing his hat into the ring in that aspect as well. Do you think he's going to play game number one? Who do you got for game number one in the playoffs? That's a really good question. I think, you know, it, it'll be partially decide when these guys come back. Are all the guys, are all three guys in good shape? Are they in game shape? Uh, how have they spent this time here during the, the three or four months that it will be between uh, the last time we played and the next time we played? How do these guys look? Uh, in training camp? How do they look in whatever these small group trainings in phase two? What is that going to look like? I think all things being equal, I think Alex Stalock with his play down the stretch, if you go by that, I think you have to probably give him the start in game one just based on the way he was playing when this thing stopped. You look at Minnesota's history, you know, team history. I know there's different goalies, there's different coaches, but it seems like whenever Minnesota's had these playoff runs, it's had to count on multiple goalies, whether it's 2003 going back to Manny Fernandez and Dwayne Rollison, uh, whether it's going uh, even just a couple years ago with, with Darcy Kemper and Nicholas Backstrom and, and Ilya Brzgalov, a guy that uh, you're, you're very familiar with there <laughs> in Philly. So it seems like, uh, you know, whenever Minnesota's had uh, good, solid playoff runs, it's counted on both of them. Uh, and I think it'll be no different this year. If Minnesota's going to go on a bit of a run, I think you'd see Alex Daylock early on, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if you see Devin Dubnik and maybe even Capo Kakinen at some point during the run. Do you think it's going to be somewhat of like a Henrik Lundqvist situation going into next year, or is it just going to be, you know, we have to go into next year with two goalies? You know, when you look at Minnesota, it has the luxury of, you know, playing Capo Kakinen down in Iowa. It doesn't have to start yeah. the season okay. with Capo uh, up here. And you, I think a lot of fans... You know, especially Philly fans are spoiled with a guy like Carter Hart coming up and being as good as he is at such a young age. You just don't see that with goaltenders in the National Hockey League. And Capo Kakin's 23 years old. Even that's rare. I mean, it seems old uh, when you, you know, think of so many impact players playing forward, even defense now that are coming into the league and making impact as 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. You know, 23 for a goalie is still really, really young. And they've got good depth in the system now, I think, uh, with Kakinen. They have Matt Robson, who was pretty good down in uh, Iowa this year, a former University of Minnesota guy. Uh, they drafted Hunter Jones in the second round of the draft last year. He had a very good year uh, up in Peterborough. So I, I think they have, uh, with Stalock and Dubnik, two experienced goalers at the NHL level, they have the ability to be patient with a guy like Kakinen, but they also have the confidence and ability that if something happens, if there's an injury, if there's ineffectiveness, they have that guy down there that has that experience now. How do you think Dean Evason has kind of fared as a head coach? I, from an outside perspective, it, it has looked good. Um, I don't know in-house how you've liked him. Does he have a real chance at this head coaching position? Well, I think, you know, it's hard to argue with the results. You know, first of all, winning 12, uh, or excuse me, winning eight of 12 games here since getting the job. And, and perhaps more importantly, Kevin Fiala. And I know that's a guy you're going to want to talk about and you're going to ask about. It's, it's what a lot of people nationally uh, remember about this team before the stoppage. Uh, Dean Evason and Kevin Fiala have a history going back to the Predators organization uh, when Dean Evason coached uh, in Milwaukee, the HL team there, and Kevin Fiala was a very good player there. Uh, I think Kevin Fiala maybe got lost a little bit in the shuffle in Nashville and that 
he and Peter Laviolette did not always see eye to eye. And I think in that relationship with Bruce Boudreau when he first came to Minnesota was even a little bit of a struggle. Now, that relationship evolved as this season went on. Uh, at the end of Boudreau's tenure, uh, he had a ton of trust and a ton of belief in Fiala. It came with time. But Dean Everson has that relationship uh, with Kevin Fiala. And, and if you think about the kind of player Fiala was, and not to get too far ahead into the Fiala conversation here, but if you're Minnesota, if you have a guy like Kevin Fiala producing at a point-per-game basis, and he has that, that great relationship with Dean Everson, the trust of Dean Everson, and from all accounts, other guys in the, in the locker room really respect Dean as well, that's a heck of a case to be made uh, to keep Dean as head coach and I think, again, too, we're going to see perhaps some hockey this summer. And what Minnesota is able to do against Vancouver in this play-in series, they're able to win that, maybe go on a little bit of a run. It's only going to bolster his case. But I think the way Minnesota played down the stretch, and specifically the way Kevin Fiala played down the stretch, I think is a good harbinger for Dean Everson in getting this job on a permanent basis. Yeah, I can't argue with that one bit. So let's expand on this Fiala bit. How confident are you in in going into next year? I, I feel like it was just the first, what, 15, 16 games of the season before he started going at a point-per-game pace? Well, it was the first eight games he had one point. And during that stretch, he was healthy scratched in Toronto. I mean, that was the point where Bruce Boudreaux, again, could not trust him in the defensive end of the ice. He was turning pucks over left and right. He was not producing offensively. His confidence really was at an all-time low, and it, it really carried over from the end of last year uh, with Minnesota, where after the trade from Nashville, he just wasn't very good. And at some point there, at the start of November, something clicked on. And over the last what, 56 games, he had 23 goals. He had 30 assists. He was a plus player, and he just took over games. In Minnesota's last game before the stoppage in Anaheim to wrap up a three-game trip on the West Coast, he you know draws the penalty in overtime that earns him the power play, uh, gets the puck off the ensuing draw, and rifles a shot in for the win. I mean, he has that kind of ability when he wants to to take over games. And we saw flashes of it a couple of years ago in Nashville, and we saw it for a large stretch of this season. Now the key for him is going to be consistently consistency. Excuse me. This is another guy who's in his early twenties. He's proven he can play at a high level. The next step in his career and in his development is doing it consistently. And I think if he can be a guy who can score 30 goals and 70 points, and he's shown that ability, uh, it's going to be a big part of Minnesota's future moving forward. And I think when you start to pad the lineup around him, you got Kovnov, Kaprizov coming up. I think maybe they don't play on the same line together or maybe they don't play next year. But I think, you know, being able to give him a supporting cast is going to definitely help his production. And that's going to lead me into my next two questions here. First, on on his um, on his current line mates who were Stahl and Zuccarello, if I'm remembering correctly. Is that right? Playing with Parisi in the year, he... Because Fiala is a lot like Zuccarello in that he's a left-handed right wing. Uh, so they, they technically play the, the same position. Minnesota doesn't have very many righty shots. Uh, another guy I know you want to talk about, Luke Cunningham, really one of their only impact kind of right shot forwards up front. But, you know, you, you mentioned some of those guys that are coming up. Let's not forget Zach Parisi. I thought he was having a really good year. And this is a guy that uh, is healthy again. 
and has the potential still at the age of, shoot, I think he turns 36, he's 36 in July. Maybe he's about the same age as me, uh, which is remarkable when you consider how good he still is. He still has the potential to score 30 goals at age 36. You know, you, you talk about the Capers and the hope is for Minnesota. You look at those two and you, you see what he potentially could become down the road. I think there's still good pieces that are here right now uh, in a guy like uh, Zach Parisi, Eric Stahl, uh, Matt Zuccarell. They're going to need more from him, but he certainly has that ability. And, and you start to add some of those guys like Kaprizov and Hovanov that you mentioned. And all of a sudden, Kyle is that 70 to 80 point guy. This wild four group has a little bit of a different look to it. As far as a bounce back for those two guys, Stahl, Zuccarello, I, I remember Zach and I, my co-host, my normal co-host who couldn't make it tonight, we're, we're talking about Stahl, and I think it was, what, 43 goals how many years ago that he had. And and it, he was like at the top of our almost unsustainable list going into the next year. So nobody was really surprised in our fantasy circle that, that it didn't happen again. But I'm wondering what kind of – what's left in the tank for him? I think you look at, at- – that season two years ago, scoring 42 goals. I 42. think that was unsustainable. And I think, uh, you know, you look at where he is in terms of his career and what his track record has been over the past several years, uh, even just in his time with Minnesota. I think he was on pace this year. He had 19 goals before the shutdown, so we're going to get to 20 goals again. He's a guy at this point, I think Minnesota is thrilled if they get in that 20 to 25 goal neighborhood you get in that 50 to 60 point neighborhood that's pretty good i mean he's making three two five uh, wow. on his contract he's got another year left on that next year he's brought tremendous value he's so respected in that dressing room a guy who's been a long time cap in this league uh, one of the few guys in that room maybe the only guy uh, thinking here off the top of my head that's won a stanley cup so you, you know you you put all that together uh i think he was probably right on track he scored 22 goals last year it was viewed as kind of a down year because he was coming off that 42-goal yeah, campaign. But, but, but exactly. Uh, and it was you know, a product of, of getting hot for such a long time there uh, with a couple guys on his line. But you look at 19 goals in 60-some games this year, probably somewhere headed to 22, 23 goals. Uh, that's probably right where he should be and right where he was going to be. So it's going to be just kind of another uh, ho-hum, solid season from the veteran. And I think if Minnesota gets that next year, again, they're going to be thrilled. So let's talk about Luke Coonan, man. It looks like his breakout is kind of just, it's on the upswing. It looks like it's finally happening. So where do you kind of see a ceiling with him and how do you see his progression as a player? It's interesting to me. Luke, Luke Coonan's one of those guys that, uh, you know, scored a lot of goals at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, was a guy who scored 20 plus goals in college, which, which isn't easy to do. Uh, not a lot of guys do that. But he's, he, I think, especially early on, has been kind of pigeonholed into a role that Charlie Coyle used to have when he played for Minnesota mm-hmm. in that his versatility can be his downfall. Uh, he's a guy who plays right wing but can also play center. And if there's an injury down the middle for Minnesota, he's a guy that is usually first called upon to move from right wing to center. Uh, I think his offensive upside was larger if he's kept on the wing. I know Bruce Boudreaux felt that way. Uh, I think Dean Evason feels that way as well. Uh, but at the same time, his overall play is good enough to play center. He's a solid two-way guy. He's a guy who's counted on here to, to kill penalties. 
you know, he, again, he has that, that 200 foot two way game. He has that ability that you really see when he plays the center position. I think he's probably a, a 15 uh, goal guy. If you have him down the middle, I think he has the potential to be a, a, again, one of those 22, 23, even 25 goal guys. If you put him out there on the wing and focus, you know, let him focus on the offensive end more. He's got a fantastic shot. He has the ability. It's really about uh, where is he going to stack in there? Because right now, really in his career, he's been predominantly third or fourth line. I think he's going to have an opportunity to rise in that lineup as he gets a little more experience. But I'm with you. I think the best is yet to come. So the last question I got for you, man, is on Matt Dumba. And I don't know if it's a result of Toronto media kind of being just deafeningly loud at times. Do you actually think he's getting traded? You know, that's a big question. And I think if you're Minnesota, uh, I would, if you're, if you're going to trade him. And I don't necessarily get the feeling that they are. But if you're going to trade him, then you have to cast a wide net because he's one of your most valuable trade chips. You look at a guy who you want to talk about a breakout. Uh, 12 goals in 32 games last year was on pace to become the first 30-goal defenseman in the NHL in uh, over a decade. I think since Mike Green uh, yeah. about 12 years ago did it. You know, This year got off to a really slow start, had that, that torn peck in December of last season uh, that, again, short-circuited that, that tremendous year that he was having. It took him a long time to feel good again. He didn't even really feel good probably till about January is really when he started to feel better physically. And by then he was feeling the pressure so much. He put such high expectations on himself coming into this season. When he wasn't feeling good, the pressure just got higher and higher and higher on him. And the result was six goals before the break, but he started to look more like himself. I think Minnesota is intrigued to see what he will be like now with three or four more months between then. I think he's going to be even better physically. He looked great. We were on a conference call with him a couple weeks ago, a Zoom chat. He looked fantastic. But another thing to keep in mind, though, too, Minnesota has great depth on that back end right now. And you look at Ryan Suter, and you look at Jared Spurgeon, Jonas Brodeen, uh, Matt Dumba. Jonas Brodeen's a free agent after next season. Uh, Carson Soucy is a guy who came on with was having a really good rookie year until he hurt his wrist this year. He's a guy who could be a free agent this summer. So when you want to talk about trading Matt Dumba, I think you're going to have to get a little more certainty on what the rest of your back end is going to look like because if you trade him and you lose a, a guy like Brodeen who's so good and so steady, now all of a sudden the strength of your team where you were sitting four defensemen deep now looks pretty shallow. So if something comes up, I think this offseason, Bill Guerin has certainly explored. I know he has kind of a checklist in his mind of what this team needs. Matt Dumba could be a guy that could help fill that, but, you know, 30 gold defensemen don't grow on trees. And <laughs> yeah. Matt Dumba has that kind of potential when he's right. All right, brother. Well, I appreciate you taking some time out tonight to talk to me. One more time, guys, you can find Dan at MN Wild Scribe on Twitter. And uh, what else are you working on, man? The floor is yours if you want to plug anything. Hey, you know what? Just trying to prep this, uh, this big comeback here this summer uh, of hockey. <laughs> Hopefully we see it happen. Hopefully. Um, just, the way, just the way things ended. Uh, I know a lot of people on the ice, but a lot of people, even in my job off the ice, just kind of left unfulfilled with everything. Uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs, you know, were right around the corner. And hey, how fun is this going to be this summer, right? For your for your Flyers out there, and just I hope so. something new, right? This is this is just going to be completely different, and it's going no matter what happens, it's going to be unprecedented. It's going to be fun, and we're all going to be enjoying it together. So uh, come check out Wild.com if you're interested in, in a Wild Canucks series that. Uh, of all these kind of play-in series that'll be starting up here, especially in the Western Conference, 
I think really is going to be uh, the most entertaining of the bunch. Well, I tell you what, man. Thank you so much once again. I hope you have a good night. Take and care, brother. Anytime. You too. I took. Oh, well, you're probably more drunk than me. Fuck. I took seven shots in about fifteen minutes. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's uh, let's get down to business, eh? Hey. Uh, <laughs> so there was our interview with Dan, um, Zach. We were talking. Let's see. Did I just hear you pour another shot? You heard that? Yeah. I'm telling you, this clean feed is crisp. Nice. That uh, sounds like a commercial for clean feed. <laughs> yeah, I think they definitely. I can't believe you heard that. Yes, I yes, I poured another shot. So we we touched on the goalie situation. And you remember from our interview with uh, Alexis as well, which is going to be coming up next for you guys. Um, weird time continuum that we're doing right now. But uh, he thinks it's going to be uh, Dubnik and or Staylock. And uh, I, I had asked that if they're going to do somewhat of a, a Lundquist scenario with Devin Dubnik. They're going to ride three goalies into the sunset and kind of just push Dubnik out. But he brought up a really good point that I guess I just failed to realize that... Um, they can just put Kakin in in Iowa in the AHL again. They don't have to have him. And I guess, I mean, really, they could have had Shesterkin down, but there was no real reason to do that. Um, but yeah, they're they're now at a playing at a position of strength with goalie, uh, if you could call it that, with Dubnik's numbers not going so well. But Stalock could get the first game there. Let's see how it goes. I'm I'm in on Stalock being in the mix. Like, I'm in on him being one of the wild scrolls. Yeah, it's, it's hard to picture him as, like, a 1A, you know? But I'm not going to lie. I I have Alexis back on this one, I guess. Uh, I think that Dupnik is better off being a trade You know what you have. He is... He's solid. How many times have I said it? I feel like I, I say it every episode and how it, the goalie market is going to be so flooded this year. What kind of value can you really get from Dubnik, you know? I don't know. I uh, I think it's time to bring Kap- Kakinen up. That, that's, that's where I personally stand. I think it is time to bring him up. You can use the money that you're not using on Dubnik to get other pieces. Build a team. You have Staylock, not a lot of money. Kakinen, not a lot of money. Dubnik, too much money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can yeah, spend that money Yeah, but the whole thing right? is, you can, you can get the same production for less money. So why are you going to pay more money for the same production? Hmm. Yeah. That uh, is my question to you. So going to, uh, not to like spoil it too much, but to what... Um, to what Alexis was saying, that it is going to rest a lot on what happens with Kaprizov. Now, if if he comes up, if this youth movement starts to happen, then there's probably a good reason to play for right now. But if you're not... Then you do it. No, it's, it's not playing for right now. It's building a team. It is building a young team. But if Kaprizov's not going to come over... Together, that grows up together, that's why you win championships yeah, and down that, the that's road. That's what I'm trying that's to get. I think we're talking happens. about the same thing. So if Kaprizov comes over, then there's a good chance that they want to build a winning culture. You know, they want to bring up those goalies that are going to get them the wins. But if Kaprizov is not going to play in the 2021 season, whenever it is, 
And I could see realistically that him, uh, that he, that he would not want to just sit, you know, with his thumbs wherever he's going to put him until December or January when the NHL season finally does start. And I think there's some sort of, uh, the, I forget when the contracts start in the KHL, but I think there's going to be a lot of hurdles. It's not going to be just as easy as, oh yeah, come on over. Uh, so there's going to be hurdles and it's going to be a very complex situation for Kaprizov. But I think basically... Well, I, that's I, why Well, that's why Bill Guerin got to get up off his ass and make it so Kaprizov gets over here. That's, that's what he... That's his I don't think fucking the problem, job. I don't think the problem is in the States. I think the problem is more... You know, the I, I'm, not say, I'm not saying it is, you gotta but think, he's got he's to make it happen. The things uh, COVID right now is blowing up in Russia, so it, it's it's there's a lot. And hey, let's get you it. the fuck out of there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's, let's get you, you the fuck out of there. It's blowing up over there. Come over here. I'll take care down of you. for fourteen. I will. Days or I will hand bathe you in. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so that liquor sorry, is I definitely. Sorry, I couldn't. I I couldn't even finish that. I couldn't even finish that sentence. All right, I'm going to try and catch up here. I'm going to do a little more Woodford. Um, okay, so he he thinks that Dumba is probably their best trade chip, but they're probably going to want to get another year out of him. I don't know that they are going to trade him. Um, well, I agree that he's their best trade chip. Yeah, and and the worry is that uh, that they won't get value for him. It, I think the phrase that he used is they got to cast a wide net. So if they're going to deal with Toronto, they want to get what they want to get. They're not they're not shopping Dumba. I think is what kind of is at the end of the sentence there. Well, they should be. They, they can. Be. I'm sure they I'm sure like they're not looking to trade him. I think is what I was. So if if they, they get, should be shopping every player almost. But I think the the problem is you they're gotta not always answer the phone, TJ. Answer the phone. That's what I mean. They're not picking up the phone, making calls, say, hey, what do you give me for Dumba? They're answering the phone. I guarantee it. You know what I mean? And they want to see what value Yeah, but other have. but other teams find out that you're answering phones. <laughs> uh, he is equally as excited about the uh, duo of KKs, Kapo Kakinen and Kirill Kaprizov, and uh, Kovanov as well. And we, we talked a bit about a stall and Zuccarello bounce back. We kind of on stall... A, being he spoiled us with those 42 goals and we expected well, too I much. think he spoiled us with those 42 goals but I think he still has goals left in him yeah and it, it'll probably land around that 25 goal mark and at I think that's exactly 3.25 I was gonna say dude if you look at Stahl's contract like it the value there is incredible if you get 25 goals for 3.25 mil then you know you're golden all right so that's going to take us right into the alexis pearson part of the episode here so i hope you guys enjoy that hey alexis hey hi how are you hello Hello. how are you we're doing good it was just saying uh before you came on zach had said uh Oh, this is way better. And then all of a sudden his audio cut out. We're still pretty <laughs> still pretty new to this clean feed thing, but I'm This I'm sounds really it. nice. I've never heard of this before until Doesn't literally it? you mentioned it. I was like, never heard of it, but this sounds really good. It's I mean crisp and <laughs> uh it's free. That's the best flavor. So even better, yeah. Even better. <laughs> so Alexis, I'm gonna introduce you to the world as far as our listeners go. Anybody that doesn't know, you guys can find Alexis Pearson on Twitter at Alexis. Mirjana. Um, Mirjana. Mirjana. Okay. Thank <laughs> it's you. It's a hard one. It's my middle name. <laughs> 
Well, very good. You are the color commentator for the Whitecaps Hockey. That is the NWHL affiliate in the Minnesota area, I guess? Correct, yep. Okay, you're a co-host on the Bar Down Butte podcast and that official president of the Marcus Foligno <laughs> Fan Club. Most importantly, you should have led with that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so we were hoping to pick your brain on the Minnesota Wild. I think I'm going to lead off here about the goalie situation. So Kapokakinen, looking really good, AHL goalie of the year. You still got Dubnik. Uh, Going into Mm -hmm. next year, he's going to be playing for a contract. And Alex Daylock on one of the most friendly, uh, team-friendly deals that there is out there. We were talking to Dan Myers not long ago, and and he had uh, brought that up, that I didn't know Alex Daylock had something like, what's he making, like 780? It's just It's pretty enticing for a team, yeah. (laughs) So I'm wondering who you think is going to be the goalie in game one for the playoffs here against the Canucks. It is a really hard question, and I have done a lot of thinking about this, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit on our podcast as well. Um, And I think if Bruce Boudreau was still the coach of the Minnesota Wild, I would think that he would start with Alex Stalock just because that seemed the way that he was leaning um, towards the end of his coaching uh, with the Minnesota Wild. Now with Dean Evason as the interim head coach, and I don't know what he's going to talk about with his uh, coaching staff, but I think it's 50-50. I think it could be Dubnik. I think it could be Alex Stalock. It's hard to choose because the thing is, is if you would have asked me, okay, with the season not being suspended, if we would have just gone straight into the playoffs like a normal season, who do you think it would have been? I think it would have been Alex Stalock, no questions asked. Now that we have this big pause, I don't know if they might go with Devin Dubnik just because he's got more of the veteran status. He's been here before. He knows he knows kind of how the playoffs work as far as being a starter in the playoffs and stuff. Um, so I think there's a good chance they could go with him just because of that. But I think Alex Stalock has really done a good job this season and made a name for himself when Devin Dubnik wa- was uh, not able to play uh, because of the issues going on with his wife. Um, and then Alex Stalock was just playing so well, they kept giving him playing time. So I really think it could go either way. As a wild fan and someone who covers the team, I would really like to see Alex Stalock get a start just because I think that Devin Dubnik is probably not going to be with this team for much longer, whether that means a trade in the offseason or if once his contract ends, they bring in a new goaltender. Um, so I think it might be interesting to see what Alex Stalock could do. But at this point in time, I, I'm right on the fence in the middle of where I think this could go. I hope you don't think of this as offensive or anything, but I feel like the <laughs> Wild might treat this off or I mean, not this offseason, but the postseason uh, as kind of like found money. So maybe they do go with Alex Daylock. Maybe they give Capo Kakinen a couple reps. I don't know how it's going to be, but it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to watch. Yeah, that's a really good point. I I think that it's almost like they got a, another life almost, and because uh, you know at the before this uh, season was suspended, it was kind of uh, were the Wild going to make the playoffs? Were they not? They were one point out of a wild card yeah, spot when yeah. the uh, season was suspended, so they were right on the cusp there. They were playing a lot better um, leading into the suspend the sus- suspended season than they had been previously. So it is really up in there. I think that's a really good point that they might go with Alex Stalock just for that reason alone and say, hey, what what do we have to lose? You know, we might not that's have made exactly the playoffs right. at all to begin with so might as well see what he's capable of and i think he'd be fun to watch in the playoffs so i'd be very happy if he got the start hey alexis so kind of to move away from the the goalies one thing we have been pretty much talking to everybody about is their prospect situation and i'll say that tj and i are actually pretty excited about quite a few of the prospects that the wild have um namely kirill kaprasov I've seen lately that he could possibly be spending another year in Russia. Um, I thought it was like foregone that he was coming over. Now that got refuted. What what exactly is going on there? 
Um, it has been a whole mess, and Wild fans are have been led on on this roller coaster of being excited, being disappointed, being excited, <laughs> being disappointed. Um, as a, a media member and someone who is is responsible for providing news and stuff uh, for fans, it's been stressful trying to follow along with this story. It's very confusing. Um, basically, he, I, I mean, he's in the KHL, um, and he was supposed to be coming um, at the end, so his contract was expiring with the KHL, and he was going to be coming into the NHL in this upcoming season. Well, basically, the season got suspended now, and then there was a rumor that, okay, well, he could be, this was maybe two weeks ago, I want to say. They were basically saying, well, his, his uh, contract with the KHL is done because the KHL, uh, their season was finished and whatnot. And so they were saying, well, he could sign any day now with uh, the Wild, and he could play if the season resumes in the shell he could be playing in those games is basically what was being said um so then everyone got excited and they were saying okay so it's gonna be any day so we were all kind of waiting and seeing when the news was going to come that he was gonna sign and come over here well then now they were saying kind of around the same day that they announced that that 24 team format was how they were gonna move forward the season does resume at some point here in the next couple months um they were basically saying well now uh, the season getting pushed out a little bit further and then next season possibly not starting until you know they're saying maybe January 1st yeah, for next season thinking. January 1st of 2021 they're saying now it might be another year before Kirill Kaprizov signs with the Minnesota Wild so oh, it's kind of just been this this roller coaster of emotions and, and of news and of rumors and I mean there was even a possibility that he re-signed in the KHL and didn't sign with the Minnesota Wild at the end of this year although Everything he said and all the reports that have been coming out is that he's ready to come play in the NHL. He's ready to move into that next step of his career. So he wants to be uh, with the Minnesota Wild. He's ready to play in the NHL. Um, so that is what is coming about of that. But still, there's with the way that this has all unfolded with the suspension and then possibly a delayed start to next season, it's just throwing a lot of question marks behind when he could sign. Um, and so, yeah, it's I don't have all of the answers because it, it's just as confusing to us here in Minnesota. There's kind of a lot lot of logistics behind it that as to when and why he could sign um, or if he doesn't so right now we're still kind of in a limbo we're in the same spot that we kind of have been there was like I said about two weeks ago there was about a week-long period where it was he's going to sign any day now and now we're kind of back to the he might sign he might not sign so it's been very stressful <laughs> trying to follow along with that saga but we obviously want him here desperately uh, we know he's going to be fun to watch and as you guys said you're excited about him as are we uh, I think he's going to really fit in well with the wild when he finally does get here and hopefully that time is is sooner than later well i think it's easy to say that that was some pretty topsy-turvy news um, <laughs> yeah i uh i know it, it definitely affects us like we so we just had uh we we started a dynasty draft with with a whole bunch of people from the podcast and whatnot and and some of our friends kiro kaprizov was a guy that a lot of people are looking at and and you wanted you wanted him because you thought he's going to start paying off immediately Mm-hmm. You don't have to wait. So uh, that I don't, that's that's really big news as far as I'm concerned. Um, now, moving on. Uh, so we also like Kovanov. Um, now, I know he has been – he's been killing it in the QMJHL. When do you think we might be able to see him as opposed to Kaprasov? That one, I don't know uh, as much about him. I, I know a little bit about him and stuff, and I know that there's there's rumors about when he could be here and all that. That one, I'm not sure. I think the the, the top priority for the Minnesota Wild is getting Kirill Kaprizov over here. So I really think that all of their priorities and their energy are getting 
him accustomed to to uh, you know figuring out what that contract will look like getting him over here and honestly I think everything else has kind of fallen behind that at this point as far as what they're trying to get accomplished here um, and all of that so I think that um, once that gets sorted out I think they're going to be more willing to look at some of the other options as far as prospects and that goes um, but I think that's a very likely possibility that we see him sometime here in the near future as well but I really just think the Wilds top priority is with Kaprizov right now. I well, I I guess I could totally understand that considering he is you know first on my list too. Yeah. Um, next up, uh, Kapokakinen, the young goaltender. I think I think he is going to be really good. He is what I would imagine your goalie of the future to be, and he was just AHL goalie of the year. Yeah. Uh, what What do you have on Kapo? Well, he played a few games with the Wild uh, early on in the season. Um, yeah, and yeah, a couple he, games. And yeah, a little cup he, of coffee. <laughs> he did. We got a little taste of what he might be like um, long term with this team. And I know people really liked him. I, I liked watching him. I thought he played very well for a young kid getting called up in a tough situation uh, with the goalie situation with the Minnesota Wild. Uh, I thought he he performed as was expected out of him. And that's not easy for those young kids to come up and, and get that short amount of time in the NHL and try to really make an impact. Um, it takes some guys a long time to really make a splash up in the NHL. And so anytime someone is able to impress me in a small amount of game, that really stands out to me and I, I think he really was able to do that and just based on what I've heard from fans and, and other media members and people I work with they're very excited about him and unfortunately for him he broke his wrist here um, it was probably a couple months ago now I don't know ex- the exact date but he was playing really well all that he had the wrist injury um, but a lot of people are saying well he could be you know depending on what they do with Dubnik and from everything that I've heard and and my opinion as well Alex Stalock is not going to be your number one goaltender he's not going to be your long-term number one goaltender, I should say. He's very, very good. He's going to win you games, but he's more of a backup than he is a starter. Um, so they really do need to fill that starter role, and Capo Kakinen could be that person for them. Um, I think it's just going to come down to what do they decide to do with Dubnik's contract, because he's got one more year with the Wild before he becomes a free agent. Um, so there's a lot of rumors that they might try to move him this summer. Um, they might just wait it out and see, you know, give him another year because this year has been very weird with with everything that happened with his wife and and just trying to get readjusted back into the NHL once um, he was able to play again. And Alex Stalock was playing so well. And when Capo Kakinen came up, he played so well. So the goalie situation is, is really a tough spot for the Wild right now. It's, it really could be their Achilles heel here moving forward if they aren't able to figure it out. Um, I actually said that on my podcast earlier today that I really think that's one of the crucial things the Wild have to get sorted here if they want to have a chance at, uh, at having any success here in the near future. So I really do have a lot of faith in Capo Kakinen. Obviously, he performed great in the AHL this season, and like I said, in the few games we got to see him with the Wild, he really stood out as well. Um, so yeah, I think he could be a starting goaltender for the Minnesota Wild, um, and it's just going to come down to kind of what they decide to do with Dubnik's contract, if they want to give Capo Kako, uh, Kakinen the nod, or if they want to wait it out a little bit, but I definitely think he's up to the task if the Wild want to go that route. I remember his first games in the NHL. I kind of saw his name flash across our screens. Okay, Capo Kakinen is starting for the Minnesota Wild. That's a name I've never heard. I'm going to pick up a couple players that are going up against him. Uh, it didn't work out so well. kind of blew up in my face. But now I know to do my homework on these new goalies that are coming up. There's a reason they're yeah. getting the call up. So That's right. In my personal opinion, I, I think it's almost time to start bringing him up. I mean, he's 23 years old right now. Yep. Uh, I'd like to see him start getting some more NHL games. Uh, he'll be kind of coming into his prime real soon. 
uh, and I'd rather him get the you know the starts and the and the, and the shots at him. So yeah, I agree, and I I've said this before, and I'll, I'll say it again, but. The thing about the position of goaltending is that it's the most mental position on the entire ice. You, you, you are such in. It's, it's. I don't even know how to put this into words. You, it's just such a mental position. Once you get into a groove, or once you get out of a groove, it's hard to change your routine. So I think more than anything, more than any other position on the ice, goaltenders really need to be given the opportunity to prove themselves. Um, just because if you aren't giving them, you know long stretches of time to try to prove themselves they just will never get into that groove and as you said he's already 23 uh, how much longer are you going to wait to give him this opportunity when he's shown that he can do it um, so I do think that you know now is the time and uh, with everything going on with the goaltender situation with the wild why would you wait you know give him his opportunity he's he's proven that he can do it before and see what he can do more long term now yeah couldn't agree more Kevin Fiala, the next guy I want to talk about, another 23-year-old hey, going into 24. <laughs> what in the world? Dude, the breakout. So what, what in the world? I think it was just a, <laughs> it was a slow start that was yeah. paired with an equally hot uh, finish. I, th- I think it was like 45 games. Like It was only the first 10 or so games that he really slowed down, and the rest of the year it was almost at a point per game. Really surprised everybody here. After 11 points in his first 20, and that I think even half of that sample size was even slower. Yeah. Um, it, the shooting percentage doesn't worry us so much as um, the IPP, where he was just kind of getting in on, if you're just looking at the numbers, he was getting in on too much action. Yeah. Um, do you think that his production is going to be sustainable going into next year? I really do think so. I know when he first got traded, when when we traded uh, Mikhail Granlin for him, um, we saw little glimpses of what he could do at the end of last season. He had a few games where he really stood out, but he also had games where he made some really big mistakes uh, that were very frustrating to watch. Um, and so we saw little bits of what we could do, of what he could do. Then this next season rolls around, and as we all know, the the beginning of the season he had a bit of a slow start, wasn't really producing as we thought he might. So then you're kind of thinking in your head, well, okay, is this just how it's going to be? Is he not going to be, you know, as good as we thought he might be? Is those glimpses we saw last year just a flash in the pan? What is what is this going to look like long term for the Minnesota Wild? Right. And then all of a sudden he just hit this hot streak and it was like he was unstoppable. <laughs> and he even he cleaned up the little bits of his game where he was turning over the puck because he's very, uh, he makes big sweeping moves. So he's more likely to turn over the puck because not that he's necessarily careless with his body or with his play, but he just makes these big moves that would sometimes be really costly for the Minnesota Wild at certain points in the game. Um, and he kind of cleaned that aspect of his game, cleaned that aspect up of his game. And I mean, his shot is, is second to none. I mean, my God, he can really pick a corner. Uh, and so he's been really, really fun to watch. So I think that uh, this is, we saw longer stretches of that. And it was really disappointing when the season got suspended to, to see him in this middle of this hot streak and wondering what would have been if the season would have finished normal. Normally. Um, so I think it'll be really interesting if this season does finish here, um, as they're hoping to do, uh, what he'd be able to do in the playoffs is if he's able to pick right. this right back up. I know that a lot of people are excited about him and Kaprizov being on the same line when Kaprizov oh. finally comes to the Wild. It is literally just what dreams are made of for right, Minnesota yeah. Wild fans. So I think there's a lot of promising things for Kevin Fiala. He's, he's young, too, so we know he's got a bright future if he can continue to play the way he's shown us he can do. Um, so I have faith in him that he's going to be able to pick right back up where he left off and I think with some of the pieces the Wild might bring up to uh, to, comp- to compound some of uh, his talent, I think he's really going to continue to shine here. Well, that's good news. Uh, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, I mean, it, it was just, I don't know, it, it was out of nowhere, and then... <laughs> yeah. Every week we were like, this is not going to keep up. Yeah, we, that's <laughs> what we were saying. But, like, the numbers just kept happening, yep. and the shooting percentage stayed normal. Like, it's not like it spiked, and There's then nothing right. screaming in your face, a lot. Like. You know what, exactly, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I think that's why he has a chance of being able to do it again, on top of the fact that it's not like he had a crazy amount of minutes. No, nope. did that all with around 15 and a half minutes a game. Yeah, Got I really it. think he's able to get it done. I mean, he, he's shown that he can do it. He, you know, he's he's on the brink of becoming a star for the wild. The wild have not had that many superstars oh and not God. to say that Kevin Fiala is going to be a superstar, but I think he's showing glimpses of what superstars do. And he might not have every single piece of a superstar, but he's getting wild fans excited, which says a lot uh, as someone here in Minnesota seeing that happen because Wild fans don't get like that very often about players, <laughs> at least, you know, from what I've seen. Um, and so the last time Wild fans have really gotten excited about a player like this, I would say, was Marion Gabrick. And that's been a very long time since very he's been cool. here. So, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a callback there. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been exciting. And he's, he's done a lot of really good things. And hopefully he can keep it up. So I, I, got, a, I got a little hot take. And that is Jared Spurgeon is the most underrated person <laughs> on the Wild. He's the, okay. he's the most underrated player. He he does a little bit of everything. I, I feel like he doesn't get the respect that he deserves around kind of the NHL, especially like in the fantasy world. He is an offensive defense. I've, I've seen him make incredible offensive plays. Yeah. But he also plays good defense. Like, why does he not get the respect that he deserves? It's funny, and I, I have a couple answers to this, but at the same time, I don't really know because it doesn't make much sense why he's continued to show... Is it because of Dumba? Is it because of Dumba? <laughs> it could be Dumba just outshining him as an offensive defenseman on the team. That could be it, um, but... I would say that the biggest thing, and and I don't mean to sound like what was me and what was my team and my city, uh, but it could just be because he plays for the Minnesota Wild. I mean, the Wild do not have the superstars that some of the big teams and big names in the league have, and that could just be part of the reason that he's, you know, imagine if Jared Spurgeon played on, like, the Toronto Maple Leafs or if he played on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh, he would be a, considered a superstar, right? Exactly, I mean, they yeah. would be talking about him nonstop. So I, I would don't like think one of those things and not like the other. <laughs> we're Flyers fans here. Alexis. I was just going to say, you guys are Flyers, right? So <laughs> yeah. you would be yeah, fine with I, Toronto. I would you wouldn't want like Pittsburgh. Him. <laughs> yeah, I don't want him to play for Pittsburgh. That sounds horrible. <laughs> That's okay. We'll do the Toronto Magic World then. Um, but yeah, just if he was on a different team, I really think that he would get more attention. And I do believe he deserves it. There was a tweet that was put out, um, I want to say like a week ago now, about somebody who said, is Jared Spurgeon the most underrated player in the whole league? And I quote tweeted it and I said, I don't know if he's the most underrated, but he's definitely one of the most underrated and I would say on the wild for sure he's the most underrated yeah. um, but it's just sad because he really is just so consistent and as you said he's very athletic offensively I mean he's made some plays that you usually don't yes. see defensemen able to make I've, <laughs> and, I've, uh, seen, I've seen him do crazy <laughs> like stuff. swatting stuff out of the air and, <laughs> I was just yeah. going to say there's there's goals he scored where he's taking baseball swings at yep. pucks on the side I of the know. net and putting them in yeah so he <laughs> I love he's that just, stuff I love it <laughs> he's very very talented and he's reliable I 
mean, he's a defenseman who rarely makes mistakes, which is funny because, you know, you mentioned that maybe Matt Dumba is the kind of guy who outshines him defensively on the team. And so that's why he doesn't get the attention. But Dumba also makes a lot of mistakes, or at least he did a little bit earlier on in his career. Not so much now. Um, but Jared Spurgeon doesn't do that. He doesn't make mistakes. And so it's it's crazy that, you know, sometimes I talk about this with my dad all the time. We're always like, how does he not get more attention? I mean, this guy is just so talented um, and just effortlessly doing his job day in and day out, um, rarely making mistakes and just really uh, great on the blue line for the wild and offensive when they need him to be. Um, so, yeah, I would say he's definitely the most underrated on the team and one of the most underrated in the league. And I really think that if he was with a, a team that had more star power to begin with, um, that he would get more of the recognition he deserves. I remember when he when he signed that contract, I think yeah. a lot of people, the, the fallout as a result of the contract and the numbers and how much he was making. Everybody was like, why are they giving him this much money? Why are they giving this much money? What I typically find with those types of people is they kind of just go to hockey reference and and look at the point totals. You know what I mean? I'm like, why are they giving this guy so much money? And he's like a 40 point guy, but uh, there's a lot left in the tank. I'd like to think with him. So I think he deserves the money. (laughs) Yeah. Well, even when they did the, they announced his, his uh, extension, what was that last summer or Mm -hmm. a summer before that? And I tweeted right away. I was like, love this deal, yada, yada, yada. And I started reading people's responses to it. And so many people were mad about it. I'm like, why are we upset about this? This is a good thing. We want Jared Spurgeon on this team. So yeah, I don't know. I I really admire him and I wish more people did. (laughs) My next question is going to be, and I asked Dan the same question here. Okay. There has been so much, and I think it's because Toronto media might be, uh, just, <laughs> I use the words deafeningly loud, uh, because they want Matt Dumba. And I think that yep. the rumors have been that Matt Dumba is, is the trade ship from Minnesota. Um, yeah. But just in, in like a wide brush, as far as the Minnesota goes, I don't want to concentrate too much on Matt Dumba. Do you think there's going to be a lot of movement, just any movement? What do you see the Minnesota Wild doing this offseason? Well, it's funny because leading up to the trade deadline, there was so many rumors circulating around Minnesota with Zach Parisi, that trade that fell through literally at the last second. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. You had the Brodeen, the Dumba talk, even Marcus Felino was on the chopping block. You had so many um, guys that they were talking about maybe moving. Even Miko Koivu waved his no trade clause and said, go ahead if you want to. And so there was a lot of rumors around the trade deadline. Obviously, they made the Jason Zucker trade, you know, shortly before the trade deadline. Love and that, that, that was a great move, I agree. And uh, between that and firing Bruce Boudreaux, they didn't do anything else at the trade deadline. That led a lot of people to believe that this summer was when a lot of moves would happen. As far as do I think they're going to make a lot of moves? I don't know. I really think there's some enticing options on the table as far as who could we maybe get rid of, Matt Dumba being one of them. Um, I really hope the Wild don't move Jonas Brodeen. I think that would uh, really be uh, tragic for the team. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, and the thing is, is a lot of people are saying Matt Dumba between the two might be the better option just because uh, Kalen Addison, the defenseman that the Wild got um, in that Jason Zucker trade, um, the prospect, Mm. uh, has been rumored to have a very similar style to Matt Dumba, a bit of more of an offensive defenseman, kind of a risk taker. Um, and so a lot of people are saying, okay, you can trade Matt Dumba, then you still keep that skill that Jonas Brodeen has, and then you maybe bring up a, a Matt Dumba part two and Kalen Addison. Um, so I think between the two, the Matt Dumba one is a little bit more enticing. I don't want to see Matt Dumba go either. I think he's very valuable to this team, but he's got two years left on his contract, and Jonas Brodeen has one. Um, so I think they'll be more likely to maybe give uh, Brodeen a contract extension soon. Dumba might be the one to go. As far as offensive goes, I think it's it's really confusing because it's going to have a lot to do with is Kaprizov going to be coming soon? What kind of holes are they going to need to be filling here? Um, so I really I'm 
more um, inclined to not know what they're going to do offensively than defensively. I think the two moves that they're most likely going to be to make is going to be a Matt Dumba trade, which, as you said, the Leafs are a team that really, really want him. Um, and then uh, I think Dubnik could be a, another trade that they mm. might make in this offseason here. Um, so I think those are the top two moves. Um, obviously, the Wild need, need a center. That's that's uh, something that on the top of their list. But again, with Kaprizov coming and kind of figuring out how that offensive side is going to look, um, I think that that might be a little bit time will tell on that one. Um, but we'll see. There's a lot of options. Uh, Miko Koivu is on the cusp of maybe retiring. So there's some holes that might need to be filled here, but we might not know what those holes are uh, for a few more months to come. Well, I know you guys got a center in Alex Galchenyuk, right? Yes, <laughs> we did. Hey, yeah. on, right? Oh, my God. Oh, God. <laughs> so I do want to say from a selfish standpoint, I, I hope you're right on Kalen Addison. He's somebody that we locked into in our uh, dynasty draft. So we're, sure. we're super high on Kalen Addison. I'd love for him I am to too. Come, yeah, so. I ho- I hope he is everything they say he is. Yeah. <laughs> but I tell you what, um, if if you if you got a couple extra minutes, I was wondering who you might think as like a sleeper going into this season. Oh, what do you mean? Like so, uh, like a like a surprise breakout, somebody that's going to go under the radar. Oh, uh, okay, a player. I thought you were asking like who I think might win the cup if it comes back or, oh, or right. what. A, a sleeper player. Okay, just in the league in general. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, the wild. On, on your team, but on yeah, your, on wild. my team. We'll take the extra sound bites. Hell. Well, I really, uh, someone I would really love talking about prospects and, and that stuff to come up and I really think could shine is uh, Gerald Mayhew. I really would love to see him more in the NHL. Um, obviously, he he um, had the most goals in the AHL this season before the season was suspended. He had a goal when he was called up with the Wild against the Maple Leafs um, this season. And I really think he's someone who could shine. So I would love to see him get some more time up in the NHL. And again, that'll kind of, we'll see how that all plays out with what holes they need to fill who they call up if they make any trades um, but he's someone I really I've loved watching him play when he's been in the NHL and uh, he's shined in the AHL so I think he could really uh, be a fun guy to watch so if he gets some more NHL time I'm gonna go with uh, Jerry Mayhew right on that's that's a that's a good answer that's a good answer <laughs> Let me tell you what, Alexis, it was a lot of fun talking to you. I'm glad that you yeah, were able to uh, to hang out with us tonight. Yeah, thank you guys. One more time, you guys can find Alexis at Alexis Mariana on Twitter. You guys can find her talking on the Bar Down Butte podcast. And uh, if there's anything else you're working on, please, the floor is yours. No, that's it. Check out our podcast. Uh, and yeah, follow me on Twitter. And uh, with no other hockey going on right now, it's just the podcast that we're trying to promote. So uh, if hockey comes back, though, we'll have more. But until it's then. It's on its way. It's on its way. That's right. We're waiting. A couple more months. (laughs) One more time, Alexis. Thank you so much. And I I hope you have a good night, okay? Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks a bunch. Stay safe out there. Yeah, you as well. Bye-bye. This is the part of the episode with me in it. So, I mean... It's probably good. You got to like... All right, that was Alexis Pearson. Uh, great interview. It's going to be weird for continuity of this episode because we got Chicago coming up next, and you weren't part of that one, but uh, it was a real jumbled mess over here as far as scheduling and stuff goes. So, Zach, you were there for it. Let's talk about our conversation with Alexis now. Goalie game one. We we talked about this with Dan as well. You know, we kind of we kind of landed on a few different spots. It could be Dubnik, it could be Staylock, but uh, there is the idea that it's found money. So you could just give Staylock the reps, give him some playoff exposure, uh, rather than Dubnik, who's already been there. Uh, it's not like realistically the Wild are going to make a run. So why not go and get Staylock some some playoff games? You know, I I like her look at it. I I do I do I I'm. 
I'm totally all in on selling Devin Dubnik. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I've had him many times in fantasy. You had him when he was good, too. And I had him when he was good. So I've had him for the ups, I've had him for the downs, and I've stuck by Devin Dubnik. What it comes down to is the hockey sense, and on that team, it it doesn't make sense for me. It doesn't make sense for me. I just wonder how much um, of his wife's struggle really played into into his gameplay mentally. Don't get get me wrong. Uh, And Alex was even saying about how the goalie game is such a mental thing. And if 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 he is not a hundred percent into it or in inside the game, if you will, you got you got to think that it is affecting him in some way. And and I, I I hate to put it that way. Yeah, he's not he's not all there anymore. And I hope he can turn around. So whether or not so they give I. him the shot, I, so do I. It's it's a bad situation. It, it's a bad situation. All right, Kevin Fiala. It was um it was good to hear that there is a good shot. He can do it again. Uh, the only thing that scares me is that IPP. At points, it was like 95%. So it, it is a little bit daunting there. So I think I am kind of landing at like a 70 to 75 point guy rather than point per game or more. Uh, I don't know what your feelings on that one are. So a 70 to 75 point pace. Uh, whew. I don't know if I'm in on that. Today. Really? You think he's more like 60 to 65 or just the 60 I, point? I think he is. I, I'm feeling 65. Mid sixties, we'll say sixty four to sixty seven. I think seventy five is. I want to see more, and and the whole thing is, I like Kevin Fiala. We went over it. The numbers they they make sense. Nothing screams at you saying, "Hey, don't trust me." Just that. But IPP. Sometimes That's things all. never do. Yeah, the IPP is there. But uh, yeah. but I'm not feeling seventy to seventy five. I feel like 60 to 65 is more realistic. I don't trust the wild is the thing, I think, I think more or less. We're creeping in on a bet here. Like a 70 we point over creep, under, eh? We can creep in on a bet right now. Yeah, you want to do uh, 70 points over? I'll take a shot to this. <laughs> we can each take a shot. We can each take a shot on this bet. Zach, I'll you take the under on 70. Man, I wish we were still doing video. This would be fun. All right, I'm in Why? it. Why? Because oh, it's I got fun my, hanging out with you. Dude, I got I got my fucking hamburger meat hanging out too. Me too. I'm wearing a baseball jersey. I'm going Philly style. I got the I, I only have it buttoned like halfway down. Oh jeez. Well, okay, I take it back. I'm glad we're just doing audio. Let's do the shot. No, you're no you're not. I wanna I wanna see you in that half button flannel that you have on. You know it's a flannel already. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what are you drinking? I got Woodford here. Um, I'm drinking Sailor Jerry. Not bad, not bad. Dude, I like Sailor Jerry. It's good. It's fucking, what, 92 proof? I drank a lot of this bottle really fast. Yeah, make sure you take some Advil before bed, eh? I always do. I'm also going to drink a lot of water. I've been drinking water while I'm drinking. All right, I'm going to lead us into Jared Spurgeon. Uh, super good defensively. Uh, I don't know why he doesn't get the love he deserves. I think maybe we just hang out in in fantasy circles too much, uh, where where he does kind of land in that forty point range, give or take um, a few. But he's really good. Deserves the money. Done deal. And uh, I guess as far as also, like trades in, go, in all honesty, uh, I know you're not huge on Jared Spurgeon, especially as far as fantasy value goes. But Jared Spurgeon is somebody I want on my fantasy team. I don't want him as my best defenseman. It's just hard. Like I guess if you're in an eight team, eight team league, it, it you could justify not having him. But like, well, okay, 
Well, yeah, you could definitely justify it to 12ers. It's a middle-of-the-road guy on an 8-team league. Yeah, I get it. But on 12-teamers, absolutely yes. On 10-teamers, uh, likely. But I do want to touch on and spend more of our time on is this Gerald Mayhew, uh, the the sleeper pick that Alexis Rock my of. world. Yeah, right? Rock so, my world. I Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I haven't said, I did not see that one coming. So, look at this. She... She was right. So in 49 games, he had 39 goals with the Iowa Wild. And the AHL is like, I mean, it's not exactly easy to put up these kinds of numbers. You do see, you know, oftentimes higher than a point per game, which he did 61 points in 49 games. Gerald Mayhew is going to be, he's going to be a lot of fun. So whoever's in our dynasty league, you can expect that I am going to be sending you an offer on Gerald Mayhew. I'm sure of it. He's a pretty good looking guy too. Is he? Where's he at? Oh man, they only got this uh, this gray, like just hockey default guy in elite prospect. He looks big. How big is he? He looks like Eric Stahl. Zach, he's 5'10", 170. So he looks like fucking Eric Stahl. Like just look at his picture and then look at Eric. Stahl. Eric Stahl's a good looking guy. He really is. Like I'm telling you, look at the two of them next to each other. They yeah, look like, like they're good. related. Oh yeah, he's got those. Uh, he's got those very. You know, chiseled out of marble features. Good-looking dude. It looks like if you punched Gerald Mayhew, your hand would regret. Yeah. Yeah, good-looking guy. All right, let's let's uh, let's not talk too much on that. Uh, we do talk about guys being good-looking a little bit too much. Maybe not too much. Not enough. We don't talk about it too much. Not, not too much. Enough. Not enough. Uh, okay, so he's 27, and uh, he's getting his first lick in the NHL here. With it's time t- to go. Yeah, it's shit or get off it the pot. 11, 11 hits in 13 go. games. He's going to be fun. So I, I really hope that what Alexis is telling us is is right and that it is kind of his time for the NHL. Yeah, I want to see what he's got. Um, okay, so that's going to bring us to our interview with Scott Powers now. We're going to be talking about the Chicago Blackhawks. So I hope you enjoy that. Hey, Scott. Hello. Hey, buddy. How are you? Good, how are you? How's it going? I'm doing all right, brother. Happy to be joined by you, Scott Powers. You guys can find him at by Scott Powers on Twitter. So I want to talk about this play-in series and pick your brain about the Hawks here a little bit. Do you think the Hawks kind of like their chances going into this? I, I almost feel like they were kind of counting their chickens with the lottery a little bit. Now they find themselves in a playoff spot. Yeah, I, I, I think that they... Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know if they... <laughs> I'm, I'm sure organizationally they were thinking about the lottery, but at least team-wise, I think the fact that they get to play some more hockey and the fact, you know, these are meaningful games are, are, are important to them. You know, uh, um, you know, once you're in these type of things, anything can happen. We've certainly seen that in hockey before it is hockey. And, yeah. um, you know, they played the Oilers well in the past. And um, I don't know if I'm betting on the Blackhawks to win a Stanley Cup at this point, but, you know, they have a young team, and this is this is probably a good experience for those guys to um, to get a taste of this type of games, and they do have some guys who've been through this before. I mean, you, you got you got some piece of the core who have won three cups, some guys who've won two cups. Um, so I'm sure they like their chances, and you know the fact that they thought their season was probably over with, and now that they get some life, and so it's a best of five series. Anything can happen again. You know, also they played the Oilers pretty pretty well throughout the season. I mean, it's Connor McDavid and, and Dreisaitl. Um, they have some weapons there, but. Um, the Blackhawks have often, often done well against them. So, yeah, I think for the Blackhawks, there's nothing to lose. You know, they're a young team, and a lot, you know, at least a lot of the team is young still, and they have guys like Kirby Doc and Adam Bolquist who can really probably um, 
yeah, really benefit from this experience. So I, I think the Blackhawks are going in with all optimism, and, and and there's certainly the lottery element to this. But even now, they are probably going to draft somewhere closer to ten, and um, you know if they're bumped a few spots because of this, it's probably not the end of the world. I I, I do think there's uh, the positives outweigh the negatives for them to be playing in the, these type of games. I'll tell you what, Scott. So full disclosure, I'm a Flyers fan. And when you're speaking to their cups, I, I remember the 2010 one distinctly. I remember where I was, how I felt. It was not good. Spoiler alert. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about the power play and kind of the the future of it here. And I'm curious if you think Adam Boquist is kind of the heir apparent here. The end of last year, end of this most recent season, it seemed like Duncan Keith kind of made a resurgence on that top power play and Adam Boquist. Uh, relegated a little bit. Where do you kind of put him next year and in the years to come? Yeah, no, I, I think Bolquitz is you know the, the guy they expect to be the uh, you know the quarterback on that power play. And you know I, I think as the season went on, his uh, you know he got a little bit better offensively. And right before he got hurt at the uh, right before the pause there, he was he was had some of the better offensive offensive games. He's starting to put up some points. And certainly when they traded Eric Gustafson, it was uh, you know it was just a sign that they were opening that door for Bolquist and. Um, you know, Duncan Keith's probably gotten some of that ice time just because he's reliable and, and, and consistent. Um, the ceiling's obviously probably higher with Adam Boquist now. And, um, you know, as he gets more comfortable in this league, I, I certainly expect, expect him to excel offensively and be, a, you know, top offensive defenseman. You know, there's still some questions about, you know, him defensively and his, his kind of reliability and, um, you know, high plays in the defensive zone. But, um, you know, I, I think the way that he plays offensively and the way that he can handle the puck a bit and shoot it and distribute it and, just his creativity. I mean, there's, uh, yeah, he's just a really nice offensive player and, uh, and can make that wild play. And I, I think he held back a little bit this season as, you know, I don't even think he was expecting to be the NHL as early as they brought him up. And, you know, they eased him in into it a little bit. And he's probably a little bit reluctant to be um, aggressive, just, you know, being mindful of that defense's own play. And he held his own. And the fact that he played with Duncan Keith often, um, you know, it, it, it gave him a bit of a, bit of a security blanket. And, as time went on, they gave him more opportunities uh, on the power play and more ice time, and I expect that trend to continue. So, you know, I'm curious when they come back what they what they're thinking power play wise, but um, you know, definitely in the future, I expect Bokwis to be uh, that, that that quarterback and at least a top unit. That is one thing that I do find fascinating about the the Blackhawks here is there's almost um, I don't want to say a changing of the guard, but there is an influx of in-house replacement, I guess, when everybody does kind of usher themselves out. And that's going to be like Dominic Kubalik, uh, Kirby Doc, like you mentioned, Dylan Strom even, and Alex Debrinkit as well. I want to talk about him real quick. So we got two years of very high shooting percentages. And Scott, we're a fantasy hockey podcast. So we had two years of very happy fantasy owners as well. And then this most recent season, it was kind of on the the lower end. What we expected from Debrinket, it wasn't really there. Was it more of a bad luck scenario? Do you think it's something else? No, yeah, I, I tend to think the chances were still there, and, and a lot of the looks were pretty consistent what he's got, and so it wasn't like defenses really uh, figured him out. I mean, he's been doing this at every level for a while now. I, I tend to think that this was just uh, a tough luck year, and if you watch a lot of the games, I mean, he's still distributing the puck, and he's, he, you know, his assists were up, and I, I thought he played better in uh, different areas of the game that he did his first two seasons. So, um, and, and you know, with him, obviously, he's going to always be evaluated by the goals. And you know, if they play the full season, I still think he ends up with 20 goals. With the fact that he's, you know, he's already set the bar with you know 30 plus in his first two years. That it's, uh, you know, it looks as a down year. But I, I think overall that there's no worries about uh, the brinket for fantasy owners and from Blackhawks to uh, 
you know, obviously they give him a pretty significant, you know, bridge deal there, but I, I think the Brinks will just be fine. And I, I would imagine next season's a bounce back year where he's, where he's back in that 30 goal range. Yeah. I do think we were kind of spoiled from the get go there and maybe expectations were a little too high on this season. And I'm curious if, like hindsight is going to play into it when it comes to Dominic Kubalik because he found his way into the hearts of many fantasy owners here. He, I mean, he hits and in many leagues, we count those. Uh, he's a goal scorer. He had really good deployment. What do you kind of expect for him last year? Is this something he can build on? Is he going to keep that deployment? Where do you put him? Yeah, no, I, I would, I would expect that he, that he's this type of player. I mean, it's, uh, he, he's a big shooter. So a lot of his goals, I don't think were lucky. It was, uh, um, you know, you saw, especially when he was playing with the right players and getting those opportunities with the one-timers and around the net a little bit. He, he has those skills, and, and, I, and I think when people were kind of projecting whether that his game would be transferable from Europe, it, it was noticeable that he had some size, he had a big shot. So, um, you know, things that w- were probably transferable. And um, it took him a little bit in the, in, in the NHL there, you know, the, the break-in. and even had some healthy scratches and, you know, had to earn his ice time playing, you know, in all zones. But um, you know, again, his opportunity got increased as the season went on and, you know, playing more top six minutes, you know, more power play, power play ice time. And, uh, you know, for him to end up with 30 goals certainly uh, exceeds a lot of expectations that people, you know, had of him coming in. And um, you would think that the fact that this was just his first season and he's still adapting and the fact that, you know, next season you would think that he'd get, uh, you know, that top top ice time uh, and play in all situations pretty consistently that, you know, you, know, you would think what he's done this year would, would be, uh, you know, repeatable. So I, I think, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of upside on Kubo League. I mean, the one thing the Blackhawks need to figure out is uh, ha- having to pay him now. It's, uh, mm. you know, it's a one-year deal and automatically, you know, he, he's, he's an RFA again. So I, I think it'll be an interesting discussion this offseason, uh, uh, especially depending on where that, that, that cap ends up, the cap ceiling. But, um, I think he's someone that the Blackhawks hope to keep in the in the fold for at least a little bit. So I'm wondering now. I don't want to take anything away from his shot volume that he had this year. It was still pretty good, but is is that something that he has in his wheelhouse? Is he like a high volume shooter at all? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, he he was pretty consistently getting off shots, whether he was you know on the top line or the third line, and you know he was uh, you know consistently getting those opportunities and. And I, and I felt like the uh, the volume and you know even the quality was 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 increasing as he was playing with better players. So I, I would think that you know I think it's something you saw with even when he was in Switzerland that that he was this type of player. And now that he's playing with better players and um, you know if he's playing with some more creators and guys who are giving him a little space and you know putting him in the, putting those situations where you know he's got a pretty good shot. So. Um, I, I would think that those type of things continue. Um, you know, it's a one-year sample size, so I, I guess we'll get a better idea. But I, I do think he has a lot of type of skills where to say that this is sustainable. Hmm. So let's now focus on to the, the veterans here, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, Duncan Keith. How much do you really think is left in the tank for these guys? And like we'd said earlier, Keith had that really strong showing at the end of the year with the top power play. Taste has just been, uh, I want to describe it as kind of like a roller coaster. He, he almost goes from 50 points up to 81 last year and then, uh, back down into the, the 50s and 60s now. And Kane, he's just, he's just Patrick Kane. He's almost immortal here. So what do you, where do you kind of see them running out of gas? Is, is there an end in sight at all? Well, yeah. I mean, you, you would think that eventually something falls off a little bit. I mean, they're all in their 30s. Duncan Keith's getting closer to his 40s. Duncan Keith's a freak. Um, athletically and, you know, he can still play 26, 27 minutes and, 
Um, it just probably isn't sustaining the same high level that he has in the past. Um, and it's probably in the Blackhawks' best interest to be able to find guys who can, uh, you know, just take over some of those minutes. But, you know, I, I think Keith's a guy who can play probably close to his 40s. And, um, you know, it's, uh, again, you know, obviously you probably want him more of a limited role, maybe take him off the, uh, the PK or the power play as time goes on. But um, he's a guy, you know, as long as you have the guys around him, I, I think Keith's going to be able to contribute for a while. Um, you know, Tavis had a little bit of a, a little bit of a dip, and, and he's focused more on on his offense. The recent years, he's been working with a, you know, skills guy locally, Brian Kane, and <clears throat> I know that he's put a lot of time and effort into you know uh, improving his offense. And, and I thought this year was pretty pretty good. Again, his power play production was down, and but but from a five on five perspective, he was uh, he was producing still, and you know he's still winning faceoffs and. Um, you know, he, he's still, uh, still leader of the, the leader of the Blackhawks team and, and, and certainly the guy they rely on for, you know, a lot of key situations and, uh, in, in all situations. So, um, uh, you know, eventually I think they'd like to see Kirby Doc take over some of that responsibility and, you know, be that number one center. But, you know, the way that Taves won his faceoffs and the way that he can still, um, you know, play in all areas of the game, he's still someone they're going to lean on heavily. Um, you know, Kane, you know, Kane hasn't shown that any slowdown, you know, as he's, you know, he's, he's gone over his 30s here, so his production's off into production's up. And, um, you know, defensively, uh, uh, there may be some gaps in his game. But um, And some of that probably has to do with who he's playing on the line with, too, or before, you know, he had probably more defensive-minded, uh, you know, a, a forward or, you know, another winger or center. And, but overall, his numbers are still there, and he's uh, I think he understands the game even at a higher level than he did, uh, you know, a few years ago. So, uh, as long as, you know, as long as he's playing with skilled guys, it, it seems like it brings the most out of him. And, you know, he, he's played well with the Brinkett and even, you know, Alex Nylander now that he's had some, had some chemistry with. And, um, you know, they, they certainly like to get him going with, uh, with Strom or Doc or whoever. And there's some other center options and not just to have him with Tave. So, um, yeah, I, I think for right now those, it, it seems like it's sustainable. You know, every year as the players are in their 30s, you, you kind of uh, you kind of check back and see if they can continue it because you've seen a lot of guys who just, um, you'll see their decline or some guys just kind of even fall off. So, um, you know, I think we've seen it, you know, in Chicago covering Brent Seabrook that it's, um, you know, there's been a bit of a deterioration in, 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 in all those games and all those cup runs and all those things, uh, you know, just kind of add up after a while. So, you know, it'll be interesting over the next few years. I mean, Keith and Caves and, and Kane are all signing for uh, multiple years, so it'll be interesting to see if they uh, can can continue to uh, just have the same level of play. I find it hard to believe anybody's going to be disappointed in those guys for a long time. Let's talk about the goalie situation here. Now you got Corey Crawford, who's a UFA this offseason, and then Malcolm Subban, RFA. Uh, how are the Hawks going to approach their net, in in your opinion? Is this something that they're going to build in-house with, like, uh, Colin Delia, um, I think Lankinen is in the system. Yeah, Kevin Lankinen. Uh, what, what do you kind of see happening there? Yeah, yeah I'm not sure. I, I think they'll have some conversations with Corey Crawford. Uh, you know, Crawford comes on at the right price, and I, I could see them signing him to a couple-year deal and um, and have him sort of, yeah, I mean, he's still playing at a high level, especially end of the season at a pretty high level. Um, I, I'd be surprised if they re-signed Subban. I, I think they let him walk as an RFA um, I think Colin D is going to be the number two next year. Um, you know, the question is who is that number one? I, I think they would, uh, would would prefer Crawford, uh, but if not, maybe they go outside and look. Um, Kevin and Lincoln had a pretty good start to the season in Rockford and in the AHL, and then uh, had an injury and the season was cut short. 
Um, but they like his potential. I mean, he won, um, you know, a year ago, he won the, the world championships for Finland. He's, uh, he's shown some upside too. So, um, you know, they have another goalie, Matt Tompkins, who they, uh, who they spend the NHL to deal this year, and he's in Rockford too. So I think Tompkins and Lincoln are probably the, uh, the AHL goalies next year, and then we'll, we'll see who's in the NHL. But, um, you know, the fact they traded Robin Leonard, they obviously had an option to, to re-sign him and, you know, probably secure him for um, a little bit down the road. And they traded to trade him to Vegas. And, um, and, and now we'll see what the, uh, the future holds. And part of it's just, you know, that, that cap puzzle where, uh, you know, they've already signed to Brinkett and now you have Crawford and you have Strom's deal and you have Kubalik's deal. And um, they don't have a whole lot of money coming off the books. So there's a bit of a, uh, a bit of a puzzle to put together this off season for Stan Bowman. That's all the questions I got for you, Scott. So definitely uh, appreciate you hanging out with me tonight. And uh, one more time for the listeners, you guys can find Scott online at Buy Scott Powers. You guys can check out his work at The Athletic, where he covers the Chicago Blackhawks. If I'm not mistaken, you guys are still running that 90-day free trial. Is that right? Yeah, I believe so, yep. Mm-hmm. All right on. All the more reason, check out Scott's work on the, the Blackhawks there. One more time, Scott, thank you so much for hanging out tonight, man. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Take care. Take care. All right, so Zach, you weren't there with us talking to Scott. We talked about um, we talked to the power, about the power play and how Adam Boquist is kind of the heir apparent here. And uh, you know, you saw Eric Gustafson go. D- Duncan Keith might have just been a stopgap for that power play for the time being, but it does look like Adam Boquist is going to be that guy. Doesn't have the real defensive prowess, so I, d- I don't think we're going to see him on the PK anytime soon, but uh, just him being on the power play to me is good enough, especially just in fantasy, but you do kind of want that all-around guy that can play all situations, like a Duncan Keith, like a Shea Weber, um, to be able to get into that upper echelon of defensemen. So the, the outlook for Adam Boquist is still good. He had spoke on Alex Debrinket about uh, maybe just finding like a middle ground because we were kind of spoiled with those first two seasons, and then he just took a nosedive. But he did say that, um, and when he was talking about it, I was thinking a lot about Patrick Laine. So he was working on other aspects of his game uh, versus just being that that sniper, the shooter. Um, so he, he had good defensive progress. He he was able to like back check, be in the right spot, that kind of thing. And maybe that like he took his focus off offense maybe this year. I don't know, but it does look like DeBrinket is in good position to, to bounce back. Well, as far as Boquist goes, I like him for the future. Um, in our dynasty league, TJ, we drafted him decently early. Yeah, I think it was uh, because I think, six. as you said, he, he is the heir apparent to that position. Yeah, and we Patrick missed out Kane, on Bouchard. And Patrick Kane is still going to be there. And that's that's something we brought up is like, yeah, Patrick Kane's not going to be done until he's done. So we're, pro- we're probably going to get big production out of him until he retires. And then moving on to Alex Debrinkit. <sighs> that almost says enough, right? A couple of years ago, uh, I drafted him early, as you would say. Uh, and I, I caught a wave and I, I got lucky. Now, last year, he didn't perform. And, and we all, you and I both said it is not going to happen two years in a row like that. Now, I find it odd that, like, the advent of Jeremy Colleton kind of coincided with with all that, you know, going on. I don't know. 
I don't feel like Colleton uses Dabrinkit in the way in which he should use him. Yeah, you want to see him with Kane. Yes. Yeah. But but Col- Colleton moves everyone around all the friggin' time. Now, everybody has to be aware of these things because what is one of the biggest things that you use, TJ, in order to pick out who you are going to stream on any given day? Well, it has got to be uh, part, of, part of it and a very big part of it is line combinations. Yeah, line combos and schedule. You, you can't, but you can't trust the line combinations in, in Chicago. Yeah, and I don't know if this is going to be all moot because Debrinkit's not exactly somebody that we're picking up or anything like that. But when you are predicting like an entire year, you kind of do want that continuity on a line. And I I don't know where I'm at with Debrinkit because half of me wants him to be able to be a play driver, you know, the, st- the straw that's stirring the drink. But there's another part of me that just wants him with Kane. Just pad those friggin' numbers, man. Like, I, I don't care. Just let him loose. I, don't, I I just don't see why you would. I don't see why you would. Uh, March, right? They're they're going they're they're gonna be in the lottery this year. Next One would year, think, yeah. Oh, they are in the playoffs. Yeah, they're gonna they be playing oil. Yeah, that's a weird one. So I mean they they could um, they should they should be in the fucking lottery though god damn it I guarantee it they're they're probably not going to make it past the first round I don't think and then once you once you lose your play in series you are entered into the lottery so there's a good chance that they still have a chance at Lafreniere TJ it's not just Lafreniere they don't they don't need a good chance at Lafreniere this year's draft is incredibly deep. You and I both know it, and everyone else should too. This year's draft is deep as it's probably been in 15 years. 15? 10 years? Whoa, whoa. Um, I don't know. I, I definitely think that... 10 years? The first 15 have a strong, strong chance. The, I think the... The, the Matthews Provorov, year, the first 15 draft picks didn't have that. Uh, I like the Provorov draft year. I like uh, the Konechny draft year. I think those were very strong drafts. They were about five years ago, I think, five or six. So it, it's the first really, really deep one in a long time. I This was the year to tank, so I think Detroit really played their cards right. I don't know. That, that's going to be another episode where we can talk about these draft prospects and stuff like that. I want to talk now on Dominic Kubalik. Uh, Scott is pretty confident that Kubalik is going to carry his top-line deployment into next year, and um, I don't think the 19% shooting percentage scared him too much. He seemed, he seemed pretty uh, set that, that Kubalik is going to be a goal scorer, um, maybe not at this volume. Uh, maybe I didn't ask the right question there, but he, he thinks that uh, what Kubalik showed us this year, we're going to be able to see next year, too. So I don't know where you land with him, but it does seem like Kubalik, Kubalik is going to be a top-line guy going into next year. Tell you what, that makes a little bit of sense to me because Jonathan Tays is a passer. He's a playmaker. It works. He's not a scorer. It works. He's looking for someone to give that puck to in the best situation that they can possibly get, and they score the goal. That's what Jonathan Tays does, and that's why Jonathan Tays is going to go into the NHL Hall, NHL Hall of Fame. Uh, that could be I'm a hot sp- take. That could be a hot take. Oh my god. Is that is is that a they've hot been pick? they've been like really stingy with their with their Jonathan Taze is a Hall of Famer. If that is a hot take, then I don't know what hot is. 
I just think that they have become really stingy with with how they're handing out Hall of Fame uh, inductions okay. and all that kind of okay. thing. So he's got the cups. Want, he's got the pedigree. I want like every, I want everyone to message us on Twitter. Message us. Ever. They're all going to be yelling at me. Good. <laughs> Good. I don't know. I don't know. But you Dude, also don't want it no, to just. No, I be want like, everyone to message us on on Twitter everywhere that you that you have. Is Jonathan Days a Hall of Famer? I'm saying he is. TJ is saying I I uh, maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe sounds about right. Jonathan Days the Hall of Famer. Maybe is the answer to everything. It's the perfect politician. Dude, those championships don't lie. Yeah, you can't just let somebody in based on cups, though. And, I, and I'm not trying to like shit on Jonathan Taze. He's one of the better defensive you, you, centers. In you the, can the when when he was the captain and partial architect of the whole friggin' thing. All right, that's the end of Festivus. Oh. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, okay, the goalie situation in Chicago is going to be one to monitor this offseason, but Scott is of the mindset that Corey Crawford is going to get another year or another extension. So we'll see how that plays out, but there is uh, Kevin Lankinen in, in the system who, who's who been playing well, uh, marred by injury, but is still playing well, and at least there's something in the system to look forward to. Uh, Colin Delia is probably going to be a backup uh, next year, and uh, Scott seems to think that that Corey Crawford is definitely going to be back. So that's probably what the the goalie situation is going to look like. Yeah, it's, it's really not surprising. I I think that Crawford's going to be back too with Colin Delia behind him. It, it wasn't great this year, but honestly, uh, Corey Crawford still has some good games in him. Hopefully, he'll have a better offense in front of him. He won't have the best defense in the world, but hopefully they can score some goals. All right, so that's gonna that's gonna wrap up this this series, I guess, on the central. So not the whole series. We're still doing you know the other half of the NHL and shit like that. But uh, that's gonna do it for the central. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Let us know how you guys are digging it on, uh, on Twitter. I enjoyed it. I'm trying to divert attention from the Jonathan Taze bit. You guys can just let us know how you're liking it on Twitter. And that's the only thing that you really need to tell us about on Twitter is uh, let us know if you guys are digging the show or uh, if you guys hate the show because constructive criticism is is always useful. So let us know how we, how we can be better or if you're just digging it, if you're happy with the way it is, let me know because I like talking to you guys. So that's it for us. You guys can find us on Twitter at FHF Hockey. You guys can join our Fantasy Hockey Discord. And uh, until next time, we love you guys. Just so you know, if you guys hate the show, I... I got a lot of feelings. We do have feelings. But But I love you too. Yeah, we love you. And uh yeah, we just want we want your feedback, how we can make it better. So we love you. Bye. Later. Later.